Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good birds. You are listening to, to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am Brother Marty Leeds, your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. That's why you're here. Thank you all for showing up this fine Sunday morning. We do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, as you guys know. So thank you very much. Um, that song was called Shine For You, that opening song. And I don't know who it was by, but it's a totally, uh, it's just such a pretty song. It's such a beautiful song. So today we're going to talk about, we're going to do some um, Native American study or whatever you want to call them. Indigenous people. I don't know what the correct terminology is today or, you know, these days. But we're going to do the Ojibwe story of creation. And this is going to be fun. We're going to talk about their star myths. We're going to talk about some of their symbols. We're going to talk about the numbers. We're going to talk about their cosmology, uh, a lot, of, a whole bunch of stuff. The fall of the Sky Woman. We're going to talk about the creation of Turtle Mountain today. Um, it's going to be good. So, but before we do that, we're going to do an Ojibwe prayer. And this is the prayer. I'm going to say the prayer first in English. And then we're going to listen to it in the original Anishabowin or something. I'm not sure how you say the language, but Anishinaabe language. Um, Anishinaabe are the main tribe of the Ojibwe. So here we go. We'll read this and then we'll listen to the Ojibwe say it. Dear Lord, we are blessed by you, Lord, 
you who connects all being, we are blessed by you, sun. You give us light and strength. We are blessed by you, moon. You teach us the importance of reflection. We are blessed by you, land and water. Your circulation supports our living. As we are blessed, we bless others. As we are loved, we love others. As we are healed, we heal others. As we are related to you, we are related to one another. Help us all now. Sing to us all now. Repair us all now. Bring peace to all our soul, souls, O oh Lord. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this in the uh, original language too, so. Nana isone shinam. Gijaona mimin gitche de benjigit. Eje anaka bedoyan. Gakkanagego. Gijaona min gizis. Eje mashkawaziyang. Gijaona mimin debiki gizis. Gekno amawiyang. Zagasadiyang. Gijaona mimin mashkik. Eje de tebiziyang. Wenje bimarziyang. Api jauna meyang, jauna mongedwa. Api zagi eyang, zagi angedwa. Api nojmo eyang, nojmo angedwa. Api inawe megoyan, inawen indiyang. Nadamawishanam daga nungam. Nagam tawishanam daga nungam. Nana ishanam daga nungam. Nana isananishanam daga gichidabenjiget. Amen. Okay, I thought you. I thought that was pretty cool. You get a chance to hear what the original language sounds like, and I guess they actually still speak it today. There's, I think, there's like, I don't know, twenty thousand or some people that are trying to actually, you know, bring this language back. So, uh, like I said, we're going to do the Ajibwe story of creation today, and the the main takeaway that I hope that we, you all get from this live stream today is that. Really what we're going to show is because we're going to look at the star patterns. We're going to look at the things that they focused on. We're going to look at their cosmology. We're going to, you know, all of these religious terms and ideas and things like that. What we're going to find out is that there's complete parallels to everything that we've studied, you know, that we study at this church. When we open that Bible, we look, it's like, hey, they're going to focus on this constellation. And then we, we get out of this Bible, you know, Holy Bible, and then we go over to what these Ajibwe were saying. Just like we went to the Cherokee, we were looking at what they were saying. They're saying the same shit. Literally pointing to the same constellation, same place in the sky, saying the same things about those places in the sky, too. And that's what we're going to do today is unpack this whole thing. And the takeaway, what I want you to take away from this, because this is the takeaway I got from doing, basically doing a thorough study of comparative mythology over the years, is that what you will find is that you can find um, there's a natural religious process inherent within the creation itself. And that's something that you can naturally come to. And this is what us Gnostics do. When you find that, when you find that kernel of truth, you'll find it everywhere. And that's what I want to teach you, and that's what I hope that you guys take away from this live stream. So, um, Joseph Campbell quote to get us going. Mythology may, in a real sense, be defined as others pe other people's religion. And that's exactly what religions are. They're mythologies. Mythologies are truth beyond truth. They're eternal truths. They point their stories, you know, symbols, uh, concepts, things, that sort of thing, that ultimately are there, a structure to get you to point directly to that inherent religious process, that thing, you know, the eternalities that that are divine that God put them, you know, that God placed in the creation itself, for man divine specifically. And that's what we're going to do today. Mythology may in a real sense be defined as other people's religion, and religion may in a sense be understood as popular misunderstandings of mythology. It's exactly what it is. That's what the Bible is. Mythologies are not invented. They are found. Amen. Myths come from the mystical region of essential experience. And that's really what we're going to do. The mystical region. What do you think the mystical region is? Well, everywhere, but of course, above your head. 
That's where the that's where the metaphysical is. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to, like I said, unpack the Ajube sky, really. And what we're going to see is that they had, you know, same sorts of things that we've studied. They had their own shit, right? This is the, this, I actually bought this online, and it's a native Skywatcher's planisphere. And what it is is a bunch of different, I think this is, there's the Cree in here, the Lakotas in here. Uh, who else here? But... This is the Ajuway, and they had a planisphere, and they had, and so you know, they still have record, you know, records of the constellations that they focus on, what their names were, what their qualities were, the animals and stuff like that, and you know, this the stories behind them. So we're gonna take a look at them, and this is hopefully gonna be fun. Um, a lot of this comes from JudyVolker.com, Star Lore slash Myths of the Ajuway. It's a pretty good, uh, pretty good overview of a site, and then also a lot of this will come from a, a book. I haven't read the whole book, but it's called the Middle. Uh, Medea Wynn, I think is how you say that, Grand Medicine Society of the Ojibwe by Walter James Hoffman. So a lot of this stuff will come from those um, books. And like I said, what we're going to do is just unpack the uh, Ojibwe sky. Why are we doing this? Well, because we know that the, the sky is the gospel. It's God's story. It's exactly what it is. That's why there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the tetramorph. And the tetramorph is what? The four fixed signs of the zodiac. The term gospel itself reveals this this notion that hey that's god's story god put an inherent story of your of a religious process a spiritual process of man in the sky in the creation around him and the and the gnostic goes and seeks that okay this is god's story it's everywhere this is the gospel this is essentially what gospel means good spell from god good see good spell is a story or message it's essentially god's story or god's message that's available for all people doesn't matter if you're who you are, what tribe you, you know, what religion you subscribe to, what you believe, that's available to all people. That's how God made it. Um, this is some, uh, you know, some sketches, illustrations of the Ajibwe tribe. And um, so just to kind of give you, a, you know, just your classic red man kind of looking thing, right? Um, there he is. Nice nose ring, huh? <laughs> so this is just some, some of the, you know, remnants of... Um, the tribe, you know, kind of what they look like, that sort of thing. So the Ojibwe were part of the Anishinaabe tribe. Do a little backstory, then we'll get into the meat and potatoes. The Anishinaabe are a group of culturally related indigenous people, basically a big tribe of separate tribes. They include the Ojibwe, the Ottawa, the Potawatomi, I think is how you say that, Mississaugas, the Nipissing, and the Algonquin peoples. I'm sure I'm saying that incorrectly, but um, a single, you know, um, separate tribes that were, you know, combined into one larger tribe. We also know that the Anishinaabe were part of the three, the Council of Three Fires. I'm going to show you this stuff so that we can all make sense of it later. The Council of Three Fires. I wonder why three. Um, the pe people of the Three Fires, the Three Fires Confederacy of the United Nations of the Chippewa, which is the Ojibwe. Ojibwe are the Chippewa. The Ottawa and the Potawatomi Indians, I think is how you say that, is a longstanding Anishinaabe alliance. Okay. Now, this three councils... The Council of the Three Fires, the Ottawa, and, and of course we have the Ottawa in Canada. So there's all the you know the um, the effect of this the people is still everywhere, and I'll show you that. There's tons of towns in Wisconsin that are still have all these Native American names. The Ottawa and Ojibwe tribes were part of a long-term alliance with the Potawatomi tribes. This was called the Council of Three Fires. They fought the Iroquois Confederacy and the Sioux. Uh, in this council, the Ojibwe were addressed as the older brother Ottawa, middle brother, and Potawatomi, the younger brother. So you basically had three brothers and they combined as the one. Now, the, the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is first and foremost is that what we were told about the whole history, I think most people understand about, you know, the white man came here and it was the white man against the red man and the red man were at peace and they were like, you know, they ate all the pieces of the buffalo and they were living at one with nature. And it's like, you know, I think we pretty much all understand at this point that that entire story is a goddamn pile of horse shit. It's absolute freaking nonsense. 
if you actually study the, tr the, 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 the history of the tribes, the individual tribes, whether that's like the Paiutes or the freaking Dakotas or, you know, Lakota, Dakota, you go to the Chippewa, whatever. You, if you look, they will tell you longstanding tales of them fighting with other tribes. Before the pale face man even showed up, they were they were fighting. They were forming alliances. They were, you know, there's and there's some. As I was doing this whole study, I found some wicked stories, man. This is once again long before the evil white man showed up, right? About how the there's a, there's an old adage or something like there's like if a Dakota and an Ojibwe meet, either one or both of them have to die. That was like that was like your standard, you know, like proverb or whatever, if you will, right? Um, there's another story about how the Dakota, once again, before the white man ever showed up, basically skinned alive four or five Ojibwe Indians and left them for dead, like skinned alive. And then the tribe found them. And then so like there's cr like crazy, horrific racial wars had nothing to do with the white people. The white people that came over here, by the way, they were warring with one another too. It wasn't like it was the whites versus the reds. That is all a bunch of complete nonsense. I think we basically understand that. The whites, it's not like the French were coming over here and hanging with us Irishmen. No, the French thought the Irish were pieces of shit and like, you know, just basically slums. And, you know, that's where the Irish lived. They were just scums, that sort of thing. They, the, the, uh, the French thought as much about the Irish people as they did about the quote-unquote red man. But our history, what do they do? There's like the white people, as if the French and the Irish had anything to do with one another. They didn't, okay? And this, this you know, the, if you actually look into the history of even what the tribes say, they'll, they'll say this themselves. A lot of these tribes were absolutely warring with one another. This is some of the artwork of uh, what we'll find out is the Medawin people. The Medawin were the, um, the Medawin is the, the Grand Medicine Lodge. This was a secret society. You know what this secret society of this, and we'll go over all of this, of the of the of these people had? They had degrees, handshakes, secret passwords, lodges, literally symbols of Freemasonry. I'll show it to you, okay? So what we're gonna see is that, and so this is the Chippewa, this is the Ajibwe symbol. Um, I'm just gonna go over a few of these things. This is their, um, they had seven total uh, Mejis, I think is what they're called. They're great, like essentially tribes. And they, 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 they symbolize them with cowrie shells. And so there was seven total of these. And they have, a, they have a, their own history of basically them and their, their migration from them living on the East Coast, basically uh, wherever long goes, this was pretty much after the last reset and that there probably been several, according to their records, there's been several resets. World age changes, we'll end with that. They have their records that said, hey, we were on the East Coast and we migrated. We even have the, mig the migration path still in our history. And not only that, while they were, they were going, they were setting up along the way, essentially what would be native Masonic lodges. And we'll go over the whole thing. Um, World Legend says there was seven great, why seven? Why did they start out with seven? I don't know. I don't know. Probably just a random number. Uh, basically, these seven tribes, they started at the Atlantic East Coast and they traveled west and they were teaching everybody the Medi, the Midi, M-I-D-E, the Midi way of life. One taught and gave them the clan, you know, there was one, there was, there was one and six and then one stayed back and then six went forward. There's a whole story of it that ultimately there would end up, you know, after the decimation of the Indians, there only ended up being five. But there was seven and then one stayed back and then six went forward, like six around one kind of thing. Anyway, in the, so this is what happened to them. Forefathers, over, allegedly over hundreds to thousands of years, allegedly from their records, they went from the East Coast, went to the West Coast, and along the way they set up these, these literally these essentially Native and Masonic lodges. 
they say they lit their fires in Lake Huron, and then they went to Lake Superior, and then they went to the island of La Pointe, and then ultimately they ended up um, settling where essentially, you know, until they got essentially decimated by the quote-unquote white man, which is basically the government. Our forefathers, many strings of lives ago, lived on the shores of the great salt water in the east. Here they were suffering from ravages of sickness and death. Once again, they were having issues, problems, fighting, all this sort of stuff. Having your normal cultural, societal, cult, you know, problems that anybody would have before white men ever showed up. They'll tell you this. They had ravages of sickness and death. Hence one of the reasons that they allegedly moved. Our forefathers moved from the shores of the Great Water and proceeded westward. And here's the migration path of the Anishinaabe and then uh, Anishinaabe Ojibwe. And you can see where, sort of, you know, essentially where they ended up. Okay. So I just want to lay some groundwork here. This is this is the old um, this is the old map of the basically the native lands. Though they didn't have they didn't have countries, they didn't have established lands. They were warring with one another over the shit for literally thousands of years. They will tell you that. The, right there, you see within that yellow there where it says Menominee, that's where Jennifer and I lived. Okay, we just moved there. We were, we lived up there when we moved back to Wisconsin. We lived up there for about two two years. Um, when I a long time ago little quick story. A long time ago, when I was uh, in college and I was really sort of, I had no idea what I wanted to do in life and stuff like that. I remember specifically thinking uh, at the time, I was like, I, I, I wonder if, you know, my uh, little backstory, my family, I, I have Menominee in my family lineage, right? I have Menominee Indian in my family lineage. So when we moved back to Wisconsin, we were Jennifer and I were looking all over Wisconsin to find a place to live, and ultimately we settled in uh, right, literally right where it says Menominee, right there, like right up in that area, dead center of it, if you will. When I was in college a long time ago, before I met Jennifer, before I thought I would ever open a church or become a writer or anything like that, I remember specifically thinking that I was like, God, you know, I hope someday I live sort of like off grid in some sort of cabin up north, and you know, be 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 an author. That was literally, you know, that was 1999 or something like that. I think that I was having those thoughts. Had a dream that I was like, yeah, maybe someday I'll live in an off-grid cabin up north and I'll just walk in there with a long rifle and I'll be an, I'll be an author. And that's exactly what happened. Had no idea any of that shit was ever going to transpire or anything. It was just sort of a secret kind of thing, if you will. Absolutely incredible. When I started noticing things like that, Things like that it was like, oh God, stuff I thought about a long time ago comes true, little synchronicities, weird things in life. That getting into that mindset is getting into the mind of the mystic, into the mind of the myth, into a mythical mindset, into a Gnostic mindset. This is where the religions are trying to take you to help you recognize that your life is poetry, that your life is a story. It's a, grand, it's a grand story. And all of these magical things happen all the time. And really what God wants you to do is you open your eyes to it. Okay? So one of the magical things that happened to me is that I, w I have a Menominee Native American past. It's in my bloodline. And somehow, in some way, after all of the shit that transpired of us leaving Hawaii and everything, I ended up smack dab in the middle of the Menominee country, my people, and you know what I did for basically the first maybe three, four months or six months of us moving there, whatever it was? I bathed in the Menominee River. Probably like my ancestors did. We didn't have a hot water. We didn't have running water. So what did we do? We bathed in the river. I remember having this moment where I was just like, how incredible is this? How crazy? How? How in the world did this happen? And then, then, I, then I figured it out. It's God. So pretty simple. A lot of towns in Wisconsin still have 
you know, Native American names, indigenous names. Look at these. Milwaukee, Waukesha, Wausau, Oconomowoc, Sheboygan, Mequon, Oshkosh, Manitowoc, Kenosha, Wauwatosa, Kakana. You know, these people dominated this area not two, three, you know, 400 years ago. And their, you know, their effect is, is still here. So where we lived was a place called Pembine. That sounds like a very white kind of name. No, it's actually from a native name called the river that's up there called the Pembamwan. So tons of these towns still have this, you know, the, the reflection of the, the natives that were here. The word Anishinaabe, listen to this, means people from whence lowered, the good humans. Basically, the Anishinaabe, the grand tribe, is basically sends people that were lowered from, like, the sky. Ojibwe historian, linguist, and author wrote that the term's literal translation is being made out of nothing, spontaneous beings. The Anishinaabe believed that their people were created by divine breath. As we'll say, as we'll see, these people believed in some of the exact same things that are smack dab in the Holy Bible. Ajibwe clan system, there's the seven original clans. Why seven? Once again, there's the seven clans. And then one of the things that they promoted was, once again, this called the Midi way of life. Okay? And they even tell you there's many different tales of this where there was six Medjis or Midjis, these cowrie shell clans. There was six of them, and, but there was a seventh that stayed. This sort of thing. It's a, it's a mythology. And what is it telling you about? As we'll see, six around one. When, when the white people came, quote unquote, white people came here, do you know, what, you know what actually probably happened? The United States government probably funded a lot of missionaries to come here and oh, and basically teach uh, natives how to how to read and write and things like that, ultimately to overthrow them. So basically, as far as I can tell, from my years of you know researching Native Americans and things like that, as far as I could tell, the United States government paid, you know, actually put in money and stuff like that for Christian missionaries to come and convert right these people to their you know the new religion, this sort of way of life, the the new way of life that they're going to have to adopt. Now, people are like, oh, that's the evil white people or evil Christians. Well, you have to also understand that a lot of these tribes absolutely welcomed them. There's some there's some of these people that absolutely welcomed them. We were told the story that they showed up and, and they just, uh, red man hated the white man totally and they just rejected them and it was all war and they just slaughtered them. That's not the case at all. There was a lot of tribes, a lot of tribes that abs absolutely adopted Christianity. And as you will see, why? Well, number one, a lot of the stories completely reflective. It's like, oh, you guys had a deluge? Oh, we had a deluge too. Oh, you had a freaking, you were lowered from the heavens? Oh, we were lowered from the heavens. Like, same thing. Oh, you focused on these stars? We, we focused on these stars too. Same sort of shit. A lot of these tribes were absolutely savages. They were not sophisticated tribes at all. They didn't know how to read and write, some of them. And that's, we absolutely know that to be true in, um, in Hawaii, a lot of those Polynesian tribes did not know how to read and write. So when the white man came here, actually what you did find was that missionaries, Christian missionaries, were actually trying to educate these people and were dedicated to it. And a lot of the, there was a lot of these natives that absolutely welcomed it. Some of them did not, of course, right? This is what happens when you have a clash of civilizations. Once again, this is happening with white people too, as far as like clash of civilizations. In 1830, a Wesleyan missionary devised a way to write the Ojibwe language of Rice Lake with the Latin alphabet. This is the exact same thing that happened in Hawaii. Those tribes that were in Hawaii, they were quote unquote savage tribes. They didn't know how to read and write. They didn't have a language. They didn't have an alphabet. The white man came and what did those missionaries do? 
They gave them the alphabet. They actually went to the trouble of not just being like, you need to learn English. They gave them an alphabet. They listen, and there's a whole there's whole books on this where basically these missionaries went to Hawaii, wherever it was, listened to the fanatics, got books on the fanatics, tried to figure out what they were saying so that they could make their own language, and then gave them the language. It wasn't like they forced them into English. You know why, why I know this is true? Because the missionaries that came to Hawaii, after they taught them English and gave them an alphabet and everything like that, do you know what the missionaries did? They're like, you guys should form a country. And do you know what the Polynesian people did? They formed a country. So the Christians that were over there were absolutely doing a lot of good things. Then who fucked them? Was it the Christian missionaries that took over the, the, the kingdom of Hawaii? No. It was the government because it's always the government and you know who's getting blamed for it you and i well this irishman and his ancestors didn't do shit and my menominee ancestors didn't do shit either <laughs> but we're certainly getting the blame aren't we meanwhile this white guy's doing what on his sunday teaching you about the ojibwe <laughs> so these missionaries came over gave them alphabet taught them how to read and write translated some, some of their stories into book form. In 1840, while working at Norway House, basically um, they gave them, a, they, they took the Ajaway language and put it into a script and it was thought it was based on the Cherokee script, which the Cherokee absolutely, I think they did have a, a, an, an actually written language. So the Ajaway, their language is part of this Algonquin family. So that not only did there was a, one, a singular language at one point and it was spread out different dialects, but none of those languages had a written language. And then the white people, the quote unquote missionary, Christian missionaries came and gave it to them. So these are all the different dialects of a single language. Well, you know, so basically you had, and they'll even tell you that there was one language and then it split up. It's very Tower of Babel kind of thing almost, right? You know, like, oh, single language that everybody spoke and understood, okay? Now, okay, just, just so you know, the, the intensity of the missionary program, once again, we're told that it was all like white people that were coming here to overthrow and no, no, not at all, not at all. A lot of these missionaries were absolutely dedicated to educating the quote unquote savages, teaching them how to read and write. They didn't even, they didn't have these things. And that's a, according to their records, not white people's records. <clears throat> When the Ojibwe's, this is 18, this when 1843, I think this is when this was, 1843, the number of Ojibwe that were existing at that time was less, it was roughly 24,000 to 30,000. Not that many people. I grew up in a town of 10,000 people. That's a small town in Wisconsin is essentially what it is. So, so there's this notion that there was like millions and millions of natives and the white people just came and, and they were all on the side and they were all living in one with nature and then they just wiped them out. It's absolute horseshit. 100%. Then, we, here's, the, here's what the missionaries, this is them going to, to the Hawaii Islands. This is what they did. The Sandwich Island mission was begun 28 years ago. 31 preachers, 24 mules, and 60 female assistant missionaries. In all, 115 people have employed for, for periods of 10 years. They were completely dedicated to going to a living in another country and teaching these people how to read and write, giving them a language and helping them establish a country and their own government. And that's exactly what happened. This is exactly what happened. The money ex expanded, including what has been furnished by Bible and tract societies has been in 1843, $524,000. 
The language has been reduced to writing. A variety of schools, books, religious tracts, and other books with the entire Bible have been translated, translated and printed in it and circulated in great numbers. These were educators. 40,000 people have been taught to read. An entire illiterate society taught how to read. 22 churches have been organized to which 25,000 natives have been admitted. Now, then you actually have stories of people, natives, that will just come out and say, it was like, yes, I'm, I voluntarily am converting to Christ. This wasn't the evil white man that came and like, you know, yes, you must take Christ and speak English. Yes, that did happen, absolutely, but that's not the total story. This is a, uh, an, anecdote, an anecdote from this preacher, Dr. Adler, who, was, who converted a native, and then the native came and was basically just saying, like, yes, I understand uh, the converted Indian chief. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I'm going to become a Christian. Do you, know, do you wish to know how I dressed when I was a pagan Indian? I will tell you. My face was covered with red paint. I stuck feathers in my hair, wore a blanket and leggings. You know, and then basically says, hey, man, I converted into Christ. Now, this is my great-grandmother. My, this is my dad's grandmother, right? And she was a Menominee Indian. She voluntarily married a French interpreter at the Mayo Clinic. It wasn't like this French interpreter came and raped the, the, the native woman and forced his English on her. No, no, they voluntarily fell in love and voluntarily had a family together. So my history itself shows you that the whole white man came over here and was you know, brutally destroyed the savage Indian. It's just not true. Otherwise, if that were true, well, I, I wouldn't be speaking to you today. That's my grandma. So, I don't know. Maybe she bathed in the Menominee at one point. I don't, I'm not sure. So, um, all right. Let's get into the creation of Turtle Mountain. I'm sorry, that's a, a long intro, but I, I, I want to, you know, just lay the groundwork here. <clears throat> when the white man came, it was pretty much recognized that what you had was a clash of civilizations happening. And it doesn't matter what color the civilization is or what race they are. When you have a clash of civilizations and one civilization is clearly more uh, intelligent, sophisticated, has a language, is more organized, that sort of thing, it is naturally going to destroy that culture, okay? We don't, we don't shed a tear for the giants that are no longer here, do we? No. We don't shed a tear for the, the mound builders that are no longer here, do we? No. We don't shed a tear for the Aztecs or the, you know, that are no longer here, no. Guess who was also going to not be here at some point? Our race and our, our, you know, people. Okay? That's what happens down here. Things get gone. Things become extinct. It's the law of the land. That's why it's impermanent and temporary. So when the white people came here, you had a clash of civilizations. One was very sophisticated and advanced with language and even weaponry and things like that, and the other wasn't. Even among these, the change is so rapidly taking place, caused by a close contact with the white race, that 10 years hence it will be too late to save the traditions of their forefathers from total oblivion. Do you know why a lot of these traditions, we don't have, we have just remnants, little scattered bits of the, the mystical traditions, what would be considered the, the, the secret societies of them? Because these Native Americans did exactly what Hiram Abiff did. He kept his mouth shut. When the people that weren't worthy of the information came and said, hey, we want your information, we want your secret knowledge and stuff like that, they told them to get aft and they kept their mouth shut. They did exactly what Hiram Abiff did with the ruffians. No, you white men are not part of our, our society. You're not part of our mystical ways. You're not part of our religious process. I am not going to hand over information to you. That's noble. That's awesome. 
That's exactly what Hiram Abiff did to the ruffians. Hey, we want that secret word. We want that name of God. You ain't getting it. You don't deserve it. This is why all of this information, a lot of this information is gone. Because those natives were doing a pretty noble thing. Myth, as we know, we are taught this history about the white man came over here as if we were some monolithic society, even though we clearly weren't, and we just wiped out all these red people as if they were some monolithic society. And this is what we were taught. And most people are taught to feel bad about this shit. We white man, look what you did, right? PBS is going to have some documentary about it or stuff like that. And it's all absolute nonsense. And this is why we don't focus on history at this church. We focus on myth. Why? Because Joseph Campbell said it best. Myth is much more important and truer. Myth is much more important and true than history. History is just journalism, and you know how reliable that is. That's what we got. The story of the white man you know, coming here, that's what we got. Journalism. A goddamn story. And you know what that story did? Made you feel bad. Why? Because my ancestors taught my ancestors how to read? Is that what you're telling me? Okay. Now let's get into the nitty-gritty. Let's talk about the creation of Turtle Mountain. You guys ever hear this? That the North America was called Turtle Mountain by a bunch of different tribes. The Ojibwe being one of them. The Ojibwe legend tells us of a great flood. First and foremost, wait a second, wait a second. Okay, let's go back to let's go back to the takeaway that I want from uh, this live stream. What is the takeaway from today's sermon? What you're going to find out is there's a natural process inherent within the creation itself. That these stories, they tell, you know, stories of things that have happened in history, but ultimately they're a mythology. And that mythology is going to tell you about an eternal truth. Okay? And what we're going to see today is that the Ojibwe absolutely understood these eternal truths. The Ojibwe legend tells of the Great Flood and how the sacred Turtle Mountain was formed. Sky Woman. There was a woman from the sky. And that woman fell. There was a woman from the sky, and that woman fell. And this is the story of the sky woman, the fall of the sky woman. <clears throat> so down here on earth, there was at one point, there was a bunch of water, and then a turtle formed, and there was a woman up there, and she essentially fell from the sky. We'll read the whole thing. So sky woman looked down upon the waters that covered the earth after the great melting of the ice. Once again, Native American story about how there was a flood. There was allegedly a great melting of ice. That's what they uh, claim it was. She saw a giant turtle in the water and came down to stand upon his strong back. Then she summoned a muskrat to dive down in the water as far as he could to find a part of the earth. He dived three times and he came up empty. Always three. Always three. And then the fourth time he finally comes up. So this is this myth of the sky woman. So a sky woman falls down. So wasn't Eve the one that ate the apple and then she caused the fall, right? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Okay, cool. So... It came up empty. This is what's known as the earth diver myth, okay? This myth, basically a muskrat, there's water, goes down, you know, tries to find some land, comes up empty, finally goes down, grabs some land, then earth starts to be formed. Earth diver creation is which a diver, usually a bird or amphibian, sent by a creator, plunges to the seabed through a primordial ocean to bring up sand or mud, which develops into the terrestrial world. And as you can see, there's, you know, you find this all over. It's an archetypal figure who creates the earth out of the substance of the water. What was, what was Adam made out of? Was he made out of mud? Okay. This type of myth is found all over the world, from America through Europe and Asia. Literally all over the world. The Cherokee have this myth as well. In this myth, the earth is an enormous island floating in an ocean of water. It is. Right? Water's above, water's below. That's exactly what we are. The island has not always existed. It didn't. It was created, right? We have a creation story for that. In the distant past, there was a vast ocean of water below the sky, vault without a single landmass. There was a vast ocean of water sky down here without a single mass. Above the sky vault was a place called Gulenlati, 
where the animals and birds lived before the creation of land. So there's a place up in the sky where a bunch of animals and birds lived. And this was before, this would be the metaphysical realms before the creation of physicality. That's the zodiac. In their cramped environment, the animals and birds were curious to know about the world below. So they sent this, this beaver, beaver's grandchild. So it was one of the muskrat's beaver went and did the same sort of thing. Why water? Why all this story across the water? This beaver goes and muskrat goes and they go down to the water and then that's what causes life. That's what helps, that's what, you know, life begins from there because it's trying to tell the story about you. It's always, it's, this is always about you guys, right? You guys know that, right? Life is born in water. That's why there was waters above and waters below. You're, you're born in an amniotic fluid. So when we talk about Genesis as a story of, a, it's a story of the creation of the universe. Yes but it's also a reflection of the story of you. Yes, okay? So why across the world? Asia, here, there's the, they're, they're going down to the water. Why is it the lotus flower in, in Egypt? Why is the lotus flower? Why is that thing so sacred? It's under the water and then it just pops up and then there's life. The Yasani, whatever, this muskrat, went down and ran over the surface and, um, Oh, wait, did I miss one? I think I missed one. Anyway, the, the, this, the, oh, wait, this is still the Cherokee one. I'm sorry. This is the, this is the, I'm sorry, getting this incorrect. This is the beaver. Went down, tried to get some mud, came back up, came, uh, reaching out, he grabbed lumps of soft mud and returned to the surface. On the surface, the mud began to swell, grow, and expand in all directions until an island called Lander Earth. But in these early times, it was flat. Except it was flat in the early times. It was still in the late times too. It was flat. It was there was no there's no part of the Cherokee, or the Iroquois, or like the Ojibwe story of creation where the flat and then it becomes a ball. There's not that's not part of any creation story anywhere. So that is the creation of materiality according to North American Indian myth. Before the Earth was fully formed, there were two realms: that of the sky and of the lower world. You mean the heaven and the earth that contained only water and water creatures. Wait, you mean like in the beginning there was water above and water below? And then before men, there were what? Animals formed, correct? Okay. Sky woman fell from the cloud. Once again, who caused the fall? And then there were some swans that were going to support her, but they were not strong enough. So, the, so they fell, and uh, or the swans were not strong enough to support Sky Woman, and a creature known as the Great Turtle offered to hold her. Other water creatures brought earth from the bottom of the sea to place on the back of the Great Turtle. Some Indians refer to Turtle Mountain even today. So this is your creation of Turtle Mountain. The fourth, so this is the fourth time. So there was three times that the muskrat went, went, muskrat went down in the Ajway, and then the fourth time, this is when the earth began. Fourth time, Musker was gone for a very long time. Sky Woman grew very weary, but she waited patiently. And then finally, the bubbles from the depth come up and Muskrat came and broke the surface, but he had a piece of mud in his paw and boom. Then the earth started creating. And then from there, just like in all the stories, it starts multiplying. It's the creation of materiality, right? Then the, uh, took the wet dirt in the palm, dried it, and blew it gently to the north to the east, to the west, and the south. Whenever the dirt, whenever the dust from the dirt land came up around the giant turtle, the gi the giant turtle, Turtle Island, is the center of the world and the birth birthplace of the Anishinaabe people. Do you know what this is? This is a this is yet a this is a more simplified, a quote unquote savage or less or you know less sophisticated version 
of what the Egyptians said. This is the Ben-Ben stone. What is the Ben-Ben stone? It's the same story. It's essentially, hey, there's a Ben-Ben stone. The Ben-Ben stone was this mound that arose from the primordial waters of Nu. Okay, yeah, no, they, the, the, you know, the, the Egyptians didn't like, yeah, we, and then we sent Ibis down there in the water to grab, no, they didn't do any of that. But what is the general takeaway? Once again, what's the common theme? What's happening? The same shit's happening. There was water in the beginning and then the mound rose up. As the land grew, Turtle Mountain became covered with topsoil. And then, and, and then the Anishinaabe called him Wakan uh, Mekinak Wajib, which is basically the mound of earth that is a turtle. So this turtle, just like the Ben Ben stone, came up and it became this sort of pyramidal mountain slash mound thing. And that's exactly what the Ben Ben stone is in Egypt. This is exactly what they say Turtle Mountain is. Turtle came up and all of a sudden the land started mounding and forming up. And then that became the center of the earth. This is Turtle Island. I think you guys, if you've been following along, I think you know where I'm, look at that, isn't that cool? This is where, uh, a turtle that's like, <clears throat> you know, you know, uh, sleeping for a while and then it wakes up and then it's got this mound on his back. So I thought that was pretty cool. But the legend of uh, Turtle Island, and there it is. Allegedly why they call it, one of the reasons that they call it Turtle Island, because it's allegedly shaped like a, a turtle kind of thing, right? Now, we've got this, mound of earth that's a turtle that the and the earth came up on the on top of the turtle and then that rose from the sea what is this this is your holy mountain it's it's the exact same thing that we're talking about and they even tell you it's in the center of the thing and they tell you that you know it's like you know that it's it's surrounded by waters so how many different ways and how many different cultures and how many different illustrations and and explanations are all of these cultures going to give us to help us understand where we are because NASA is not helping us at all, that's for sure. Any of these illustrations are going to do a, a, a greater service of helping you understand who you are and where you are than anything that comes out of modern science. Quote me on that. So this is exactly what they're talking about. They're talking about the Axis Mundi. It's the center of the Earth, and there's a big mound on it. When we lose our myths, we lose our place in the universe. And that's exactly what's happened to our society. We've lost our myths. Even, even religious people don't understand that they're reading mythology. And they don't understand when they read that mythology, that mythology is supposed to center them in the, this creation themselves, center their spiritual life, but actually help them find the center. Okay? What, this is one of the great reasons why they're lying to us about flat earth. A lot of people are like, they're hiding more land. Okay, maybe. There's giants up north. Well, maybe, yeah, I'm sure. Okay, possibly. I don't know about all that. But I do know this, that nobody understands where they are because, nobody, because, because we've lost the myths. Even religious people, they're, they're reading this book, you know, the Bible or whatever it is, as if it's a literal history book. And they're lost. By design. That's been by design. I think we understand that, but... When we lose our understandings of myth, we lose our place in the universe. And when we lose our place in the universe, we forget who we are. I think many people have seen this before, too. This is, um, this is a calendar that is naturally on the back of a turtle shell. And when we were in Hawaii, I actually, we, you can swim with the turtles. And there was this big-ass turtle that I was swimming with. I should have grabbed the picture. And I actually sat there, and while it was swimming by me, I literally counted the back of the shells. And Jennifer was like, my husband's a fucking nerd. 
and she's right. But I actually did that. Instead of having this magical moment where I was swimming with the turtles in Hawaii, I'm like, 12, 13, fucking nerd. Anyway, why the back of a turtle? This is where, this is the mindset that God is trying to get you in. This is a mystical mindset. This is, this is how God works. Okay? You have to, you have to be, get into that, you could say it's a poetic mindset, a mystical mindset, an esoteric mindset, a Gnostic mindset. But to see that, hey, guess what? God put a plan of creation on the back of a turtle. And you know how you unveil it? Numbers. You, it's literally just counting it. So what is that calendar? It's, you know, there's 28 sections that wrap around it. And then there's 13 in the middle. And 13 times 28 is 364. It's a, it's a lunar, it's literally a lunar calendar that's been used all over the world from like China and native cultures and, you know, Celts and all this other stuff. This is, this is the power of myth. Myths help one see the poetry of, ex, of existence and its divine meaning. This is the true power behind mythology, to change the dulled mind of that to a mystic, to witness God's living poetry. This is living poetry. That's what it is. And of course it was like, well, I mean, how do I understand that poetry? You mean I, I got to learn math to learn poetry? Yes. Yes, that's what Marty Leeds is saying. Okay. So why, tur why, so why turtle? I'm sure, you know, why turtle island? I'm sure there's more than just a reason like, hey, we just need some explanation for how Earth formed. No. No. Let's talk about the Ajwe story of creation now, okay? When Aki, the Earth, was young, it was said that the Earth had a family. Like in a family, they had responsibilities both spiritually and physically. Spirit and matter. Just like we do. The creator of this family is Kichi Manitou. It's the great mystery or creator. And by the way, a lot of a lot of people think that a lot of these religions are like polytheistic, like those natives, even like quote unquote white settlers or whatever would come here and be like, yeah, they were polytheistic. They have thought about all these different, yeah, they had different gods. There's no God of the wind, God of the mountain, God of the trees, God of this, that sure, absolutely. But they absolutely did believe in one overarching spirit. And that's what, that's, that's not polytheistic. That's monotheistic. All comes into, you know, one. And they, many of these tribes completely understood that. He is like the great grandfather who has all the knowledge, wisdom, and is always there in a spiritual sense. So this great mystery, this great creator named Kichi Manitou is always there. You mean like Christ? You mean like exactly how we explain, how the Trinity explains Christ? The eternal present. This is the spirit and matter, of course. They had, they had their both responsibilities both spiritually and physically. Okay? And we'll see that again. We'll see that again moving forward. The Creator made the plants. There were four kinds, flowers, trees, uh, grass, and vegetables. To each plant, He gave the spirit of life. And then He even placed each one where it would be most beneficial. All of these parts of life lived in harmony with each other. Do you know what this is? This is, once again, this is exactly what Christianity is trying to teach as well. Don't ask a literalist modern-day Christian to, you know, explain this, but this is animism. This is the belief in a supernatural power that organizes and animates the material universe. That's the logos, by the way. That's the logos. That's the word. But it's animism regards that every plant, tree, mountain, stone, living creature, sky, and ocean, celestial body, etc., is having a soul. And any animate and inanimate object can serve as a sanctuary for a spirit, which can either be good or, good or bad. 
Animism in ancient times was common to almost all indigenous people. Animism, animism is a belief that animating force fills our universe with life and spirit. It does. That's what spirit is. So once again, something that'd be like, oh, this is a savage, Native American, unsophisticated, mythological, whatever view of society or the world or our creation or whatever. No, I think it's just a spot on one. I think you can ditch all those adjectives. They had a son. Now, people have argued about this. People are like, well, obviously this was the white man that came over and had influence on the natives and then changed their language and stuff like that. And then that's why their son God is called Jesus. No, as far as I could tell, no, that's not the case at all. Every other aspect of the Anishinaabe language is, is, is intact. It, like, right? So, you, so the point is, is that they, it's not like the white man came and changed the name of the great creator from Kitchi Manitou. No, not at all. They had all of, they had a language, they had the terms for their gods, and allegedly their term for their sun god was called Jesus. I don't know. Coincidence? I don't know. It means heavenly being that watches us during the day and is also referred to as the grandfather. Wait a second. What the frick is going on here? So the son is a son. He's uh he's all but he's so he's in the day, right? And he's the son, but he's also referred to as a father. <clears throat> the earth is said to be a woman and is also referred to as our mother because she gives us life, protects, and nurtures us. This is exactly what Mother Earth is. Once again, Christians have a problem with this. Why? What's, what's your problem? What's your major malfunction there? Okay, what's the Father in heaven? Father, pater, pattern. That's what it comes from. Father, that's why you say pa, your pa, your father, your pattern, your pater. Patterns in heaven. Material is the mother. It's the origin, it's the source, it's the mother. It's the material, mater. That's where we get the word mater. It comes from matter. The Ajaway are explaining all of this to a T. They haven't missed anything. They know where the center of the earth is. They know the general story of how the earth was created. They understand the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the role of the stars. They understand the physical and the, the, the spiritual. Then the moon, this is why we know that this wasn't just lap, lap, you know, grafted on by the white man. What was the moon's name? Neba Jesus. So it was like like a, a counterpart to the moon, and it, you know, just okay. Once again, means heavenly being that watches over us while we are sleeping in a spiritual sense. We're watching spiritual sense sleeping over us in our dreams, right? Watches over us when we were sleeping. Okay, so they had the sun and the moon doing exactly what the sun and the moon do. On the new earth, Kitchi Manitou made mountains, valleys, plains, lakes, islands, and rivers. Everything had its place on the new earth. Everything, everything was is perfect in its order. It was very logos. Next, Kitchi Manitou sent his singers in the form of birds to earth to carry to the seeds all life to the four directions, sacred directions. Then they even tell you there's the east, the south, the west, the north, and then two other sacred directions, which is as above and so below. And in this way, and in this way, life was spread across the earth. They're just giving you a geometric and mathematical story of creation so that you can come to the exact same thing that we come to pretty much every Sunday that we preach. Up, down, left, right, forward, and reverse. And then this is how the Genesis was formed. Long ago, Kitchi Manitou had a dream. 
He saw the sky filled with the sun, earth, moon, and stars. He saw the earth covered with mountains and valleys, lakes and islands, prairies and forests. He saw trees, flowers, grass, and fruit. He saw all manner of beings walking, flying, crawling, and swimming. He saw births, growth, and death, and he saw some things that live forever. He saw birth, growth, and death, which is temporary, corruptible, in, you know, te uh, impermanent. And then he saw th some things that were eternal, incorruptible, permanent. This is the corruptible, incorruptible. This is no different than what we're talking about here. They're giving you a creation story to say, hey, there's some things that are temporary, corporeal, terrestrial, corruptible, and there's some things that are incorporeal, celestial, and incorruptible. It's those are the basics of our of our cosmology that, as far as I can tell, most flat earthers don't even understand. After his dream, Kichi Manitou made rock, earth, water, water, fire, fire, and wind, which is air. Into into each he breathed life. Into each he gave a different essence in nature. From these four elements, Kichi Manitou created the stars, moon, and earth. This is earth, air, water, and fire. This is part of, I mean, these are your four elements that are assigned to the zodiac. Okay? They knew them. They understood them completely. Okay? Kichi Manitou gave spe special powers to all, enhance all of his creations to the sun. He gave the power of light and heat. Obviously, to the earth, he gave growth and healing. Everything has its place, if you will. To the water, he gave the power to purify and renew. That's what, that's what water does. Once again, why all these baptisms? Why? Well, it's a special Christian thing that only the Christians could figure out. No, when we talk about there's an inherent spiritual thing, what does water do naturally? Purifies. Okay, so the purification process, is that something that's inherent within the creation itself? Or do the special boys over in some special religious book somewhere have the secret knowledge that because they got it handed down from on high or something, something, blah, blah, fucking blah. And to the wind, he gave the power of direction, voice of music, and the breath of life. To the water, he gave the power to purify and renew. And to the wind, he gave the power of direction, voice of music, and the breath of life. What is that? That's the Logos. It's a divine plan, reason, implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. This is your spirit, your breath. It's your spirit. It's the, where are we? The wind, he gave the power of direction, voice of music, and the breath of life. What is the breath of life? It's your spirit. It's the, the exact same thing that Christians talk about that a lot of modern Orthodox laugh at. Did you know that the God is everywhere around you in the air? Animating or vital principle in man and animals is the spirit and soul. It's directly from Latin, breathing, breath, breath of God, inspiration, breath of life, life, breath, air taken into or expelled from the lungs. Natives were saying the exact same thing. Why? Did they have to go to read the dusty religious text from the bishops that handed down? Or they just went. The word, by the way, sorry, I totally missed this. And to the wind he gave the power of voice, the voice of music. The voice of music. What is this? This is the word. This is the word, and we'll revisit this when we go to the, the midway here, okay? <clears throat> Kichi Manitou then took the four parts of Mother Earth and blew into them using a sacred shell. From this union of the four sacred elements and his breath, man was created. What does it say in Genesis? That God breathed life into the nostrils of man. 
once again, okay, there's a sort of a Native American sort of tale here, and then there's sort of a Hebraic version here, and which one's correct? <sighs> it is so the Kitchi Manitou then lowered man to the earth. Thus man is, is okay. Then, thus, man was the last form of life to be placed on the earth. That's exactly what happens in Genesis. God makes the earth, forms the land, right, the whole bit, all the animals get there, makes man, breathes, you know, into his nostrils, and then ultimately he falls. He falls to the earth, right? Thus, man was the last form of life to be placed on the earth. From this original man, he is known as the original man. What is Adam known in, in Kabbalistic literature? What is he known just regular Bible? The first man, the original man. If you break down the word Anishinaabe, which is, you know, uh, in the Ojibwe language, it means from whence lowered the male of the species. So now you have what? A male was lowered down, and then you had Sky Woman. It's different creation stories telling you what? The exact same thing that we are, the general storyline that we were told in Genesis. Why? Because that's what happened. Now this Adam first man, this original man, do you know who that is? If you've been, once again, if you've been following this church, you'll know it's Christ. It's, it's the Adam Kadmon. Okay, lower right-hand corner, there's the Adam. There's the first Adam and there's the second Adam in the Bible. Of course, you have to have the first and the second because there's an Old and New Testament because you have that Hebe stuff and then you have that Christy stuff in the second. So um, so right then, the lower right-hand corner there, there's first Adam giving, you know, basically handing off. Now this is the last Adam. This is the original man. Christ is known as the second Adam. So when they're talking about there's this original man, that's Christ. Sure, they're, they're you know, painting it with a different brush. Absolutely. But what is behind it? The same shit. <laughs> and it's awesome. This kind of information is what helps us connect, not make divisions. Oh, those savages over there, they don't understand our Christ. Yes, they do. And they told essentially the same story. This is the first primordial man, your original man. Old Testament, New Testament, it's found around the world. Up, up on the right there, that's called Ardharishvarana or something. I forget. It's like Hindu one. Primordial man. First man. In that first man is a man and a woman. What was in, what was in Adam? What was in Adam? Eve. Kabbalah. Primordial man. First man. Alchemy. If you don't understand the primordial first man of alchemy, you don't understand one-on-one of alchemy. Every highly, this comes from my book, Lord Jesus Christ, talking about this primordial man. Every highly advanced culture, and some of the most primitive, have this hero figure, this primordial man, this original man in some variation or another. Cosmologies across the world will find a primordial divine being at the helm of their creation stories. It's true. This primordial man, this man from heaven, this last Adam, is not a concept merely dreamed up again and again by varying cultures and civilizations throughout the ages, but rather the heavenly man is the archetypal figure crafted within the framework of nature and creation itself. That's what we started this podcast with, say, this, this sermon with, and that's what it's all about. That primordial man, that original man, is much part of this creation as the, as the wind, the trees, the mountains, the canopy of the stars of the firmament, and the sun and moon in our sky. It's as natural a part of it as any of that other thing, as anything else. And this is why all of these cultures, all of these cultures again and again and again and again came to the same story. God wants you to understand his gospel, his story, not the weakened, shitty, interpreted, you know, in, interpreted versions of people with a bunch of opinions. God doesn't care about that. God wants you to understand what actually happened, if you will. 
his cosmology. This is part of it. This is the, um, this is, um, I've showed this before, this is Richard Cassaro did a whole book on this, and this is basically cultures around the world that showed this, what would be considered your, uh, he calls it the God self icon, it's your primordial man, it's your first man. Sumer, North American, Egypt, Bolivia, Jairoft, Indonesia, Peru, Nigeria, Greece, India, Persia, Manoa. Then they even tell you that this first man was made in the great spirit's image. Kitchi Manitou created us in his image. Although last and weakest of his creations, we were given the greatest gift of all, the power to dream, the power to take what's in here and actually manifest it into our world. The power to take what's here and be like when you were a <clears throat> drunk, lost, you know, retarded college kid and you're thinking and you're dreaming. It's like, God, it'd be really cool if one day I was like a writer and I just lived off grid up north. And Kitchi Manitou, the great spirit, is listening. He's listening. He's like, huh, is that what you want? Are you sure? Okay. Although last and weakest of his creations, we were given the greatest gift of all, the power to dream. Thus, Kitchi Manitou has brought his dream to life. We were created in his image. Image, God created us in his imagination. Do you know when, when people talk about the fact that this is, a, you'll hear this a lot, like it's an illusion, it's a Maya, it's a dream, dream world, that kind of thing. And we're in like Gnostics, and that you get this sort of poetic terminology, sort of mystic language, like you're supposed to wake up from the dream, right? Why is it called a dream? Why did, why did, they, why did they say that the, the God, the great Kitchi Manitou, dreamed up this place? Well, what is a dream? It's fleeting, it's passing, it's temporary. It's here and then it's gone. And next thing you know, you're like, God, what happened? What's life? That. Tell me what you had for dinner three three days ago. I don't know. Where, you know, it's like, what were you doing, uh, you know, in uh, October of 2006? I don't know. What, you know, what did you do last week? I don't, I don't, you know, it's passing, it's fleeting, it's, you know, it's up and gone, right? This is what they're saying. Kitchi Manitou created us in his image, in his imagination, in his image, and then he let this dream happen. We are living in God's dream. The image, piece of statue, uh, artificial representation that looks like a person or a thing. Image, likeness, figure, drawing, portrait, reflection, stat. You, you get it. Copy, imitation. Okay? We are made in God's imagination, in his mind, and we are made in his image. Kitchi Manitou, those natives, thought the exact same thing. Okay? Here's this uh, part of this, this creation story. According to the Ajibwe, in the beginning there was a great black void, and in that void there was a spirit called the Great Mystery, who sent his thoughts out into the universe. And when no response happened, those thoughts were called back, and the Great Mystery said, Create light in the universe as you come back to me. And then all the star, stars were formed and born and planets and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so in the beginning there was a great black void and in that void there was a spirit, God, who sent his thoughts out into the universe and there was no response and then those thoughts came back and the great mystery said, hey, let's create light in this universe. Okay, now let's go to Genesis. So in the beginning, God, the great mystery, Kitchi Manitou, created the spiritual nature and the, and the physical nature, right? He created the heaven and earth. And the earth was without form. Wait a second, so... God, he created the heaven and the earth, but the earth had no form, which means he didn't really create anything. So it was almost like God was thinking this stuff up. Because how can you create something if you don't actually create anything, if it has no form? Then what is it? It's a thought. 
right? So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, but the earth didn't have any form. Of course, spirit doesn't have any form because it's formless and, you know, earth, that material was off without form and void. It was just a darkness and blackness. And then there was a spirit of God that moved up, up on the waters. In the beginning, there's a great black void, and in that there was a spirit. Do you know you can actually visit this place in meditation? You guys ever been there? I used to do the sensory deprivation tank. This was one of the first times that, I don't think I've ever told Jennifer this. This is one of the first times that, not one of the first times, but I remember being in a sensory deprivation tank for like maybe like an hour, hour and a half one time. And when this happened, this is immediately what I thought of. I was like, whoa, because you get in there and you get into a spot where it's like, you know, you're just in meditation and it's like completely dark and then it goes dark and dark. And then you actually get into a space where it's darkness and you're just kind of sitting there. You're not moving. You don't really feel anything. You don't really hear anything. And next thing you know, light will just start flashing in your head. And that's what you'll see, right? I mean, I've seen it how many times or whatever, right? And every time I, every time that's ever happened, I always think about like, oh, what am I, what am I witnessing there? The beginning of creation. In, in, in your mind, but we're made in God's image and we're in his mind. That makes sense. So at the beginning, there was a great black void. And then the void, there was a spirit in the great mystery, sent his thoughts out into the universe. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and he thought about it. But the earth had no form. So it was just a thought. And then he uh, sent that out and there was a spirit that moved upon the waters. And who sent his thought out in the universe and there was no response. And there was a, bla and there was a void that there was a spirit in that void. And then God said, let there be light. And then there was light. So those thoughts, they went out, but then they came back into the great void. And then they said, let there be light. And that's exactly to the T with the Ajib way of saying. Create light in the universe as you come back to me. All stars were born and formed. The plants were formed. And that's pretty much one of the next lines in the Bible. And then it says, oh, then God created the stars and the firmament. And they made a great light and less light, etc., etc., etc. There is only one story. There's only one God. There's only one cosmology. And there's only one story. This is why we say there's one, one God, one spirit, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one church. Then the Anishinaabe people believe that we are all made of light and dark, the physical and the spirit. Again, we are all made of light and dark. This is the beginning of heaven and earth, of course, right? It's also literally what we just talked about. We are all made of spirit and matter, physical, metaphysical. It is said that the first man, Christ, came down from the sky and was lowered. And the first thing he did was to travel across the land and began, na began naming everything. All the plants, all the trees, all the animals, all the insects, all the fish, and all the birds, etc., etc., etc. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. He needed, a, he needed a mate. He needed to get jiggy with it. He needed to bump uglies is what was going on. So here's the story of the first man naming all the plants and animals. And here's the story of the first man <clears throat> naming all the plants and animals. You guys know this song? Towns Van Zandt. man give names to all the animals. In the beginning, in the beginning, man give names to all the animals. In the beginning, long time ago. Great song. Okay, then after all this, so he gave name to all the animals. Well, first and foremost, before those animals fell, like in one of the other creation stories, what did they say? Well, they're up in the sky. What are they? It's the zodiac. 
The Anishinaabe elders say this is where our naming ceremony comes from. This is why all the animals have gathered around the first man and the first woman as a reminder of how our story is closely connected to all life on earth. So all of these animals in which Adam, the first man, gave name to all the animals in the beginning, in the beginning. Then all of these animals gathered around the first man and woman. All of the animals in the zodiac that are up in the sky before they even got down here, right? <clears throat> All of them were gathered around the first man and woman. Well, what's the first man and woman that they gather around? According to the Greeks and according to, you know, Bible and all this other stuff, that's Cepheus and Cassiopeia. That's Adam and Eve. Same story. How many times are how many times have we been here? The next thing first man is asked to do by the by the creator is to travel to the fire keeper in the east where the sun rises and learn about the sacred fire which is in your heart wow have we been have we god it's like this is just redundant at this point i mean how many times have we talked about this shit the sacred fire and all its connections to the heart and to the universe once again why why did in english why is the earth called earth why is it an anagram for heart and what are we what are we doing here the anishinaabe were trying to tell us now listen to this, and we'll revisit this at the end. Let's read this again. The next thing first man is asked to do to the creators to travel to the east and learn about the wisdom of the sun and that sacred fire that exists within the center of your heart that's beating it. And in doing so, he meets the firekeeper's daughters. And who are the firekeeper's daughters? It's, uh, well, it's the Pleiades. Who we know. Oh, I'm sorry, the firekeeper's daughters, who are known as the morning star. Excuse me. The morning star. Is their sacred union, and they call they claim the morning star is Venus. It is their sacred union that is the beginning of humanity here on Turtle Island. <clears throat> you go. So the first thing this guy does, pay attention. First thing this guy does is goes to the east and learns about the sun, how the sun is connected to the center of our heart. Okay, and not only that, that sun mates with Venus, and that's the beginning of life on Earth. I'm gonna say that again. The sun mates with Venus, and that's the beginning of life on t Earth at t Turtle Island. And we'll revisit that at the end, okay? Because we know that Venus is the morning star, and we'll get back to that. It's often called the morning star anyway. So, And we'll get back to that. So um, ultimately, they, they came to what? Basically, what is one of the things that you've obviously heard from of across, you know, like in classic Native American teachings, medicine wheel teachings, right? Basically, they, t they, they gave the, uh, the four directions, the knowledge of what we know as the medicine wheel teachings. What is the medicine wheel? It's, it's, it's literally a wheel and a cross. I mean, you know, at this point, at this point, it's, you know, a lot of this stuff is almost like critical thinking 101. You know what I mean? If a Christian sees this and says, that's not my thing, you don't know what your thing is. You don't have a clue. This is the gospel. They understood the gospel. Four directions, four cardinal. Look at that. The one down there, some of these medicine wheels look like a freaking swastika. <laughs> it's a cross that's spinning. Solstices and equinoxes. And this was the cornerstone of some of their teachings. It's the cornerstone of our teachings here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ too, isn't it? If you would like to support the fine work that we do, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app. You can become a good bird at Subscribe Star. And 
We do have, uh, if you'd like to send a letter or anything like that, or um, donation for support or anything like that, Kevin McNally, N2550 Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, 53566. Okay, um, we're going to keep going because i got a lot to cover today. I knew the first half would be a little, you know, a little slow, but here we go. Ojibwe constellation. So now let's actually take a look at that gospel, that night sky that the Ojibwe focused on. And then we're going to see that the same constellations that we've been focusing on the Holy Bible is exactly what the Ojibwe would focus on. Why? Because there's an inherent natural story of our spiritual rebirth and it's crafted everywhere. These Ojibwe constellations are easy to find. The Fisher, the Loon, the Crane, the Seven Sisters, the Winter Maker, we'll cover all of these, okay? And so the first thing we're going to do is cover the North Star. So here's the North Star, Polaris. We've talked a lot about, especially lately. Um, here's what all of these native cultures called the North Star. The Iroquois, the star that does not move. Cree, it's the guide of the people. Kootenai is the grizzly bear, which is that star. Polaris is part of what? Ursa Minor, which is what? A bear. Uh, Eye of the Creator. Sky Chief. Navajo says it's the star on top. The Apache say it's the not walking star. Pawnee call it the star that does not walk. The Lakota call it the star that stands still. The Anishinaabe call it the North Star. Okay, what did the Ojibwe say? The Ojibwe said that the part of the constellation that makes up Polaris is a loon. The Ojibwe star map, the Ursa Minor, of course, is the Mang. Mang is the loon. The loon is one of the Ojibwe clans. One of the seven clans is the loon and is seen as a very important messenger. Now listen to what these crazy Ojibwe say. Listen. The loon and crane are both leaders in the clan system and they work together. The loon, that guy right there, it's Polaris, stands at the doorway between the water and the land or the material in the spirit world. <laughs> that, that constellation is the doorway between the spirit world and the material world, according to those crazy savages, that's exactly what the Hebrews say to. They even draw it for you. So when I say that Polaris, that when I when I when I when I get all crazy and I get all passionate and stuff like this and I start pointing to the sky and yelling at a camera and shit. When I'm pointing to Polaris and saying, hey, that place right there is where your soul gets up and out of this place, I mean that very literally. Because all of these people certainly did. And our cosmology and our, and our religious doctrine says the same thing. Why? Because it's because God declared it. These people knew. They're telling you that they knew. The loon stand that Polaris stands at the doorway between the water and the land and the material and the spirit world. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. This is why we say Polaris represents the point in our cosmology where the soul travels up and out of the firmament and into total unity with God. That's what the Bible's saying. I don't know of a Christian that understands it. I don't know. I, there are hardly any Christian understands that that's part of our cosmology. It's very, very important that you understand that cosmology. And not only that, it's not Christian. It's, it's just the, it's just the thing. It's just natural. The Milky Way. What did the Ojibwe say about the Milky Way? What is the Milky Way according to all of these different tribes? Well, it's always either a river or a road or a path. Almost always. 
Iroquois, the Great Sky Road. Ajway, it's the path of the migrating birds. I wonder why they called the, the Milky Way the path of the migrating birds. I wonder why those Ajway called, which you got Cygnus there and you got Aquila, which if you just look at them and you're starting like, God, those look like birds. That's the first thing you'll say, right? Especially Cygnus. So there's a Milky Way and it's a path and then there's two migrating birds there. And then the Ajway called it the path of the migrating birds. It's a white river. It's a ghost road. Snowshoers trail. Snowshoe tracks. The river. The trail of the dead. The river. The trail. The trail. The trail. The trail. The tip high. Call it the knight's backbone, which I think is pretty awesome. But so... Every single one of these was like a trail, a river, a path, something that you need, your soul or your spirit needs to travel through in its journey down here. Every single one of them said it. So does the Bible. How many people know that the Bible is actually telling you about the Milky Way or the Pole Star? I don't know of anybody. Then you bring it up and what do they do? They curse you out and be like, dumb Gnostics? God, you got to know what you're talking about. I think we do. I think we do. The Ajway people called the Milky Way the River of Souls. The souls, it was said, would find a waiting canoe to paddle to the great river along the shining flow of the Milky Way. Nanabuju. Here's another constellation. Let's look at this. Here's, so, so you guys can see. Nanabuju is right here. Right there. This guy right there. See that? So you can see he's Scorpio right there. Why would they point to Scorpio? The, on the Ajway star map, Scorpius is, de, is depicted as Nanabuju, a sleeping giant. They also had giant myths, too. He is a hero figure and a spirit that had many excursions on Earth a long time ago. He helped people by creating dry land after the last flood. So wait, there's floods and then giants that lived? Okay. And he's a, he represents Leo and Cancer. Why are they doing? Why are they pointing this out? <laughs> you'll, you'll see. You'll see. I'll show you. They're going to show you the Silver Gate too. It's going to be one of the most important constellations that they have. This hero is doing what? He's Scorpio. He's pointing to where what would be the Golden Gate. The Golden Gate and Silver Gate is the place where the Milky Way crosses over the ecliptic, and those are the place. That's the place where souls enter and exit the Earth. We'll, we'll go over that. And uh, do I have that here? The Anishinaabe believe that when we die, our spirits travel to Ningaba or Ninjigbi, whatever, the western sky. And they believe that new life and knowledge emerge from Wabagnong, the eastern sky. Thus, many ceremonies reflect these traditional cardinal directions. They you know, basically said the same sort of thing. This is where souls enter and exit the plane. <laughs> okay? So this is one of their main constellations. They were pointing to the same place that the Bible... You remember when we said, oh, the Bible is like, I'm going to give you the two keys to the kingdom. That's what it is. That's what the symbol of the Vatican is telling you. This is what the Ojibwe were telling you. Who knows it? Hardly anybody. Madudaswan and Nudishin are uh, the stars of Corona Borealis. And this is the Sweat Lodge. And this is the stars of Hercules. We've covered Hercules enough. This is, I'm not even going to get into that now, but just to show you the same thing. What did they do? Well, they didn't say a Greek myth of a Hercules of some hero god. What did they do? They wrapped it up in their own cultural pretenses or cultural, you know, nuances and things like that. What did they do? Well, they had a guy that was going into a sweat lodge. What was the sweat lodge? And there's your, this shows you how, you know, this was their buildings. And this is according to them. This is not according to now. The white people came and, no, no, this is what they'll, they'll tell you. That this was, you know, they obviously weren't building the Gothic cathedrals there, people. Okay? Okay? So this was their sweat lodge. 
And what would they do in the sweat lodge? They would go through a purification process. They would sweat, you know, this is one different pictures of this, right? And they apparently they still do this today, right? The sweat lodge is a purification ceremony. Ba it's a baptismal thing. Same thing. Sweat lodge purification ceremony is returning to the womb. Isn't that exactly what we say when we, when you, I've said this how many times, when you cross that Gothic cathedral and the doorway is like this and it's shaped like a Vesca Pisces and we say, hey, that's a geometric womb of creation. And when you enter into that cathedral, you're entering into a womb. The Ajibwe were saying the same thing. The person is exhausted after participating in the sweat. He, she is exhausted on the outside, but full of life and strong on the inside. And that's what the purification is process is all about. The removal of contam contaminants from something. Okay, process of making something spiritually or ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean. Okay. <clears throat> Here's moose. Here's a big moose. Once again, they didn't have. This is the constellation Pegasus, essentially, right? But they didn't have. They didn't. It wasn't a white horse with you know that's wings and things like that. No, it was a moose. Why? Well, I don't know. Probably because they lived up north and they were around meese, right? That's right. It is the plural of moose. The, uh, con the moose consisting of the stars Lacerta and Pegasus is part of the Ajway astronomy. This constellation is another animal of the Ajway clan system. So they're, they're obviously important because it was part of their clan system. Okay. What, what did this constellation focus on? Why would they focus on this constellation? It's a spring equinox. It's as simple as that. March 21st. So they, they were recognizing the great medicine wheel in the sky and the great cross, following its wisdom, looking at the places in which it's marked and saying, hey, there's something, there must be something special about there. And then they put, you know, they mythologized it, they anthropomorphized it, personified it, whatever you want to say, into these things. And then what did they do? They extracted the exact same wisdom. To a T. To a T. And so when I say this, when I say, when I wanted to start this live stream and say, what is the takeaway of today's sermon? There's a natural process inherent within the creation itself. And when you see commonalities like this, and you see that they're pointing to the same places and coming to the exact same, almost a lot of times the exact same conclusions, what do, what do we have to say? Well, who, who's making this up? Myths aren't, just as Joseph Campbell said, myths aren't invented, they're discovered. Amen. The people of our world, the elite that should not be, don't want us discovering these. They don't want us knowing our myths. Hence why they push the bullshit view, version of Christianity on everybody. The moose represents the uh, basically um, teacher of the children. Okay? Teacher of the children. This is one of the big things that the, that the moose represents. Just so you know, you know what that area is right there? That's the squared circle. So once again, the foundation of the mysteries in, in general, at least the geometric mysteries, is absolutely squaring the circle in the exact same place where the spring equinox is and the, the squaring of the circle and everything like that. What did the Ajibwe do? They heralded it as a place we're going to teach our children. How about this one? Orion, Bibinukiwani, whatever. Can't say that. Ajibwe... Um, the stars of Orion, uh, together with Procyon, and I'll show you this, are called, whatever this guy is, called the Winter Maker, Winter Bringer, Winter Maker. 
as their presence in the night sky heralds winter. Of course, when you when you see Orion, you know that it's heading into winter. Wintermaker is a strong Ojibwe canoe man and an important mythological figure in the Ojibwe culture. His outstretched arms rule the winter sky. Wintermaker is seen overhead during the winter months. Of course, that's when you see Orion. Okay, so the winter maker, now there's this, and then they even tell you why these constellations are important. It's because, well, they mark the spring, summer, winter, and fall. They're marking what? The Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the fixed signs. The fixed signs represent what? The, they're fixed in the seasons. That's what they're doing. Ajibwe, they tell us a story about this is the um, their parents making a bow and arrow for their late young children to come out in the late winter at night to shoot at Wintermaker. So there's a story about how the natives would come out and they'd see Wintermaker and they were trying to kill him, right? They're trying to shoot arrows at him. Well, what were they shooting arrows at? Trying to kill him, shoot, shoot him in the head, if you will. There's Wintermaker. Well, we just covered this place in the sky, didn't we? And what did we find out? Well, this is called the Winter Hexagon. The exact same constellation of the Wintermaker, even stretching his arms out to make sure that they grab the what? The Winter Hexagon. Correct? So there's Orion. He's pulling, it's, this is upside down, but he's pulling his arm out over the prize science. And he's got this, you know, he's like, I'm the Wintermaker. And then they say to the kids, go shoot him. Try to kill him. What are, they, what are those kids doing? They're trying to shoot an arrow into what? The center of the hexagon. Or the center of the circle, if you will. What is that? Six around one, or the monad. That's what it is. They're trying to shoot at the, kill the Wintermaker. Put it in the center of that thing. Six around one. Or, you know, shoot him in his head and, and put a dot in the center of that circle. You see what's going on? This was their myths. We also found out, I'm not going to cover this, I'll just put this on the screen. You can do the math if you'd like. We're, we're talking about this whole thing. It's like, hey, this is an important place in the sky. Forget about what the natives said, just according to, you know, our myths. And then what does it represent? Six around one and all this other stuff. And then we find out that it encodes pi. Those six stars encode pi. And you can do the math yourself. What do those six stars point to? What does this... Winterbringer point two. Again, the silver and golden gate. Gemini and Taurus are what? The two constellations, what's right between or above those two? The Wintermaker. Of who you're trying to kill and get the six, or get the one into the six, if you will. This is the place where they enter, souls enter and exit Earth. Let's go to this one, another Ajibwe uh, star pattern. In Ajibwe astronomy, the stars of Cygnus form the constellation Ajizak, the crane. The crane is one of the leaders in the Ajibwe clan system. Crane and loon, the crane and the loon, the loon is what? We already talked about the loon is Mang, right? Mang is what? Polaris. So now we've got these two constellations, this, this Cygnus, this bird, and this loon, and they're connected to one another. They are in our, in our, our tradition too, in the Christian or you know, the biblical tradition too. And I'll show you this. According to the Ajibwe, these two constellations are, are sacred and you know, connected. Ajajak, which is the Cygnus, 
This constellation is overhead a few hours after sunset, sunset in the summertime, and the crane and loon lead people to stay strong. Okay, this is Cygnus. This is their loon in the summertime. And what is Cygnus, as we've talked about before? Well, it's the word of God. It's the sort of spirit. It's the word of God. It's the cross of matter, if you will. It's locked right in between what? The summer triangle. It's a summer triangle. So we just got done with the hexagon, and now we're over into triangles. And what's in there? And what is that connected to? Where's the loon? What would be right there? The little dipper, Polaris. And they're connected, according to the Ajibwe. Because why? They're just connected in the sky. This whole area here, by the way. So I'm going to show you this when we'll look at the Christian, you know, uh, biblical cosmology of this, right? And we're looking at the Ajibwe. Do you know what this is right here? We just talked about this too, just a few live streams ago. This is the Oracle of Delphi. They give you all of the pieces that you need to point to this area in the sky. And this is the Oracle of Delphi. O man, know thyself, and you shall know the universe and the gods. All of this elaborate mythology about a woman, and she's on a tripod, and she's got a, and there's mist coming up, and she, her name's Pythia, and there's a dragon there. And then there's Omphalos, which is the sacred stone. This is Delphi in the sky. What's the sacred stone? It's the keystone. What's the tripod? It's the triangle. It's the summer triangle. What's Delphi? It's Delphinus. There's two eagles in the story. One goes east, one goes west. You mean just like the migrating birds in the Ojibwe story? Yes. The Aquila, eagle, go, you know, the python, there's Draco. It's all happening by Mount Olympus, which is in the center of the creation. You mean like Turtle Island? Yes, Mount Olympus. But did you hear? Guys, did you hear? <clears throat> the Garden of Eden's in Florida. This is the flaming sword. So the Ajibwe were saying this loon and this, this bird over here are connected to one another. And this is exactly what the Bible is saying. So he drove out, of, out the man, he placed the east of the garden, east cherubins, a flaming sword, which is Cygnus, is exactly what Cygnus is. It means to be white, to lighten, to glow, light, clear, white, like a cigarette, your Cygnus, it lights, it glows, and it's a cross. And a flaming sword. And that flaming sword points to what? The center of Polaris, which is what? Where you go up and out of this creation. And what did the Ajibwe say? Same thing. To a T. That star right there, that's where you go up and out of here. That's the, that's the separation between spirit and matter. <laughs> and then that sword right there, that bird's going to lead you to it. Lodge away the stars of Cancer and Leo formed Mishibizwa. This is another place in the sky that they focused on once, basically four cardinal directions. I just want to show this. So this is a cross between, well, you, I mean, you can kind of see it here, right? It's a mountain lion was because it was, you know, mountain lions were a lot more abundant in Minnesota, that whole area. Um, and then it rises in spring because they were mentioning the spring. Okay, obviously. Following the cross, following the way of the cross is what they were doing. Following the gospel is what they were doing. The, the, here's the Ajibwe envisioned the Big Dipper. We all know the Big Dipper, one of the most noticeable constellations in the sky, obviously. Ajig is a fisher and is a mammal that belongs to the weasel family, okay? And there's this legend about how fisher went to Skyland, okay? And I'll, I'll show you this, right? And so this is a fisher and it's animal. And this is, this is what a fisher looks like. Look at that thing. Look at how cute that thing is. God bless it. That is a freaking cute animal. So anyway, that's the Big Dipper according to the Ajibwe, right? And so they have this tale about how the, uh, the, you know, this guy went to Skyland, right? So according to the Ajibwe legend, when the great hunter Fisher traveled to Skyland to bring summer to his people, he was fatally shot by the sky people during his escape. 
So he tried, so basically, you know, went up to the spiritual realms and then escaped and then they tried to shoot him and then arrow struck him and he turned over on his back and he began to fall. There was a guy that, once again, basic elements of the story, guy goes up into the spiritual realms, right? Doesn't necessarily get there and then he falls back into the material realms. Began to fall, but the spirits turned him into stars that change with the season, and that's what the Big Dipper is. And this is because the Big Dipper's orientation changes with the season. So the basic story is this guy tries to go up to, to uh, heaven, essentially, right? And um, be this sort of hero figure, and then he gets chased away and shot, and then he ends up in the stars, and then there's basically this continuous story of him going up and then falling back down, and going up and falling back down. And they even tell you this is because the Big Dipper's orientation changes in the seasons. So the Big Dipper is this fisher that falls back, right? The spirits took pity on him and caught him before he hit the ground and placed him in the sky. That place is visible constellation called the Big Dipper. It handles the tail. Every year he makes, this is what they say, the Fisher story. Every year he makes his journey up into the sky and every winter he breaks through to free the songbirds and warm the weather. So it's, what is it? It's a story of going up and then falling back down, then going up and then falling back down. And then as he brings an end to the winter, he returns to earth and the journey begins anew. This is, of course, as we know, this is the what the Big Dipper does throughout the year. This is essentially them giving a myth of a story about what? Something that is absolutely inherent within the creation. And that tells us about the, you know, the rise and fall of the seasons. And what is it? The Big Dipper is the story of the hero's journey. You know, once again, where does this come from? Joseph Campbell. No, Joseph Campbell was just, you know, intelligent enough and intuitive enough to read these things and then say, well, there's a theme here. Well, what is that? Where does it come from? It has to have an origin. And what do we say that origin is? Always. God. If it's eternal and divine and sacred and we can find it in comparative mythology and we can see it here and 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 here, at some point you have to say, well, where is, what's its origin? It's easy. It's God. And it's a relief knowing that. Okay. Let's talk about the Midowin. So, all right. We talked about their constellations. We talked about the sort of the history, that sort of stuff. Now let's get into the fact that this ancient society essentially had a mystery school tradition. Not even essentially, they had a mystery school tradition. They had whatever, anybody else, if I told you the elements of what the society was, you'd be like, that's Freemasonry. That's, would you just describe Freemasonry to me? Yes, absolutely. They were called the Midowin, right? The Midowin, Midowin, I don't know how you say that. It's the Grand Medicine Society, and we're going to break apart the word medicine and talk about all that, is a secretive religion of some of the indigenous people. It was secretive. Just like, just like, just like you know, we herald all of these secret societies or the, you know, secret orders and things like that. We even talk about Jesus had a secret order, right? They did the same thing. Occasionally, uh, the middle, uh, basically, Midowin, um, uh, Midway, that sort of thing, is translated as medicine man, and that's exactly what they were. They were shamans, if you will, right? And so, in the Anishinaabe language, Midowin is sometimes translated as the way of the heart. You almost could have guessed it, right? So, um, and then it says the only thing that would be acceptable in any way as an interpretation of Midi would be a spiritual mystery. What is what is the spiritual mysteries? Gnosticism, right? You know how many times we've said that? It's like, what is, not, what is Gnosticism? It's knowledge of spiritual mysteries. And then they said, we have this whole society. It's a secret society. We have degrees and our own symbols and all this other stuff. And then we're going to tell you that. Basically, if you want to say what we are, we're, it's a spiritual mystery. It's Gnosticism. 
Fluent speakers of Anisha Bemoen often, ca often caution that there are many words and concepts that have no direct translation to English. So they're, they're, the Midi way of life, the Medea, the Medeoen, the Medea way of life, that is the way of the heart. It's the middle path, as we're going to find. Now, this Medeo win, one of the things that they would do is they would have a, they, they would play drums, right? It's a classic Native American thing, like, oh, 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 that kind of thing. They did that stuff, right? And they had a specific drum, and it was called the water drum, right? And the Medeo win says, refers to this uh, sound emanating from the ceremonial water drum. The essence of his sound is so wonderfully powerful that it calls to you. So basically, one of their main ceremonies was the fact that they would basically um, recreate, if you will, what would be construed as like the sound of the universe, right? And they did it through a water drum, okay? And what do we have in the beginning of creation? Genesis, and there was all water, and there was spirit across the water. And then what happened? As we talked about, a sound came out, a sound and light. God spoke, let there be light. That's exactly what they said, too. They said God sent his thoughts out, came back, and then he's like, ah, i got to speak light. And that's exactly what they say. It's exactly what happened. That sound of light comes from what? Water. And what did we say that that sound is? When we talked about, um, if you've been following along, when we talked about, <clears> oh <throat> man, know thyself. We talked about the center of the heart. What is it? Right? It's this when we look for the spirit of God that exists within us. It's, the, it's our heartbeat. It's the thing that do, 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 do. We say that that is the chief musician. That's the, you know, uh, if you're the, the, the drum of Brahma or whatever you want to say, right? This is what that sound of the drum is. This is what they're mimicking. They're making a sound. It comes from water, and it's, a, and it's a drum beat. And that drum beat, that heartbeat, is referencing what? What's in here? Okay? Exactly what we've been talking about. To the T. Not deviating at all. Okay? And this is the water drum. So this is what, um, this is one of the Medeowin uh, elders said about the drum. Okay? Let's listen to this. Okay, so what is the Medeoan? So defined just what that means, it refers to a sound. Medeoan refers to a sound, but it refers to the sound of the water drum. And the beater is like, a, uh, the beater or the drumstick is uh, like a right angled. It's not a straight, but it's right angled on top. There's a plug on the side. You pull out that plug, you fill it with water, and you can adjust the sound of it by how much water. And when you hit the top of it, and really makes this really nice sound. It's so powerful, it echoes through the woods, and it feels like it's calling you. It's just a really uh, wondrous thing. The overall purpose of the Madei and the philosophy is is sustaining a long and healthy life by respecting all life forms, seeking spiritual balance through understanding of the natural environment. Basically, a person is to live a spiritual and physical life through a, a life of moderation. Okay, so that's, you can see, that's the basic principles of the Medea win. It's like, here's, you know, here's the great mystery. Live a moderate life, <laughs> essentially what it is, right? So now they say that the Medea, when one of the, is this elder was basically saying that one of the things that that term refers to is a sound. Then they recreate that sound with the drum, the water drum. Notice that he, he even makes a, a, a special mention that the beater, that they beat, the, all of this is highly symbolic, guys. The beater of the drum that they drum with is a 90 degree beater. It's not just a stick. 
It's specifically shaped in a 90 degree, and that is what creates the sound from the water that reflects what? The Medeawan people, the Medea, the Medea way of life, right? What is that 90 degree? Well, we'll see, moving on. It's your earth. And the compass is in the square. That's your spirit. This is your matter. So they're using, in this sense, they're like, you know, recreating the creation of matter by taking the matter and boom, boom, boom on the water. The voice comes out and that's what creates things. They're giving that ceremony there is a ceremony of logos. That's the, the, they're recreating the logos. They're, they're creating the word. They're recreating it through their ceremonies. And this was a very sacred thing. This was their secret society. This was their masons. This is Native American religions in North America. Listen to this. And this is on mythology, basically talking about, you know, um, world creators and stuff like that. Especially in North Central California, world creators are likely to be true creator gods, thinking the world into existence or bringing it forth with a word. What is that word? It's, once again, O man, know thyself. And you'll understand that that sound, that light, that reverberation is not something you have to imagine or like think or you're going to philosophize or dream up some stuff or I got some good ideas. It's your heartbeat. And this is what these ancient people, these ancient, you know, tribes understood. Even, even if they were not that sophisticated. Well, guess what's so beautiful? And we'll learn about this next chapter, Matthew 18, when we do Matthew 18, eight, eight, excuse me, Matthew 18, we do that chapter. We'll learn that you, the, to, to align with God, you don't have to be some super smart person or anything like that. You don't have to be like, super, you know, polymath and wisdom. A lot of this stuff is actually super simple. What you have to do is get into that state of the mystic, of the esoteric, of the poet, and, re and look at this world with child's eyes. And that's what we're going to learn next week. This is what, it doesn't matter how sophisticated, they didn't have a written language, they still understood. Because the heart isn't something that happens up here. The heart happens here. Okay? Where actual thinking is done, by the way. So, that drum right there, do you know what they cut it out of? A tree stump. A tree stump. That's what that is right there. What is that a reference to? The world tree in the beginning of the center of the creation, where Turtle Mountain, the mound. The tree of life. The Medeawen, their society that you know, they, once again, in the, in, when they migrated and then when they actually settled, settled they, they would set up, the, they were literally lodges. They called them lodges, just like Freemasonic Lodge. And they set up these lodges and they would do these ceremonies and they'd have degrees and things like that. This was though, then this is their claim, this was their actual religion. This was their religion. The Medeo, the Medeo when right is incorporated most that is ancient among them. Songs and traditions have descended not orally, but in hieroglyphs. They had pictograms and things like that, even though they didn't have a written language, for at least a long time of generations. Uh, in this rite is also perpetuated the purest and most ancient idioms of their language. They used, in this secret society, they used all of the same sort of things that we use in deconstructing the Bible. Um, you know, um, homophones and homonyms and and word tricks and all of this sort of stuff this is this is what they that was their methods too as the ritual of the midwin is based to considerable extent upon traditions pertaining to the cosmogony and genesis and to the thoughtful consideration by the good spirit most of what their religion is according to the midwin is on cosmology and genesis now that's according to them 
Now, now that you've been following along at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and we've been doing Bible study, we've gone all throughout the whole book of Mark, and we're more than halfway through Matthew, what did we find out about our religion? It's based a considerable extent upon the traditions pertaining to cosmology and Genesis. Amen. It's exactly what it is. That's why we can go time and time again back to our own planosphere and say, hey, guess what? That gospel is up there. Once again, um, this is like the scattered remnants or whatever. We're like picking up the pieces of basically of civilization that's fallen apart. And of course, it's going to take an esoteric mind to do that in order to understand the symbolism and the deeper context of, of course, their mysteries and stuff like that, right? We, I think we get all this, right? But once again, what was the big thing? They did not give up their secrets to the white man. They held on to it, right? Okay? This is, once again, I just want to reiterate this. This is exactly what Hiram Abiff did. They were going to hold on to that secret knowledge of God to the grave to, and not give it to people that didn't deserve it. The Grand Medicine Lodge, these lodges that they set up, perpetuated the mystery school tradition and was their religion, was the religion of their society. Their, their religion was a mystery school. The Midday practitioners are initiated and ranked by degrees. And once again, they'll tell you that. Much like an apprentice system, Masonic degrees are an academic degree program. This is the organizational structure of the Midway. Four levels or degrees. This is the, you know, the newer one. In ancient times, there was allegedly eight degrees. Graduation through levels degrees greatly depended upon the individual's awareness of self and their need. Diligent fasting and a year or more of intense teaching is common practice beyond the first degree. What did Jesus say? How do you get into heaven? Prayer and fasting. The community elders and those of higher degree exercise control over the individual, allowing initiation to proceed or not, depending on his or her competence and the knowledge and skills learned from their teachings. Okay? Basic, once again, just a basic structure. What is the knowledge that's taught? This is, once again, this, they still do these teachings today. So obviously it's a, you know, it's a, a watered-down version, I'm sure. But what, is, what, do they, what do they teach? Basically the same stuff that we teach here. No different, right? Teaching of the self, teaching of the order of things, teaching of all life forms, teaching of the roles of other life forms, teachings of the creation of man. The life forms they're talking about is like, you know, natural world life forms, not like aliens and shit. Uh, life and afterlife, that's exactly what we talk about. Teachings of the basic, basic natural elements, earth, air, water, and fire. We do that to a T. Of course, that's, that's, you know, that's astrology. Teaching of the Anishinaabe prophecies and migration. Well, we don't do that. But teaching of the gifts of the seven grandfathers. If you talk about the seven grandfathers being the, the role of the number seven and its, you know, uh, universal nature, then yes. Okay, so, uh, you know, we might as well be a Medeo win freaking lodge is all I'm telling you. Okay? What else do they teach? Communication is natural and supernatural. I've literally said, those, uh, to, once again, I've, we teach su the supernatural, right? Teachings on plants use, we don't do that too much, but teachings on energies and movement, teachings on responsibility of knowledge, teaching of, and this they even quote it, knowing. You mean like gnosis? Teachings of moderation and balance. That's that's literally an entire chapter of the Tenets of the Order where you talk about like, I, I go over like drug and alcohol use and food and all this other stuff. And I basically, the, the conclusion is I might as well have just given over to the Medeoin because this is like, look, moderation and balance in all things. Natural and supernatural gifts, uses, and responsibilities. Once again, if you have a supernatural ability, if you have, like if I have an ability to teach, you have a responsibility to do it, according to them. Identifying knowledge and facilitating guidance and use. Okay. 
So essentially the stuff that we teach here. Here's uh, some sketches of the Medeoan Lodge once again. Let me show you this. They even had an illustration of the directions of which the, how the lodge would be set up. What would be in the center of the lodge, the, the three points within the lodge, there'd be an east and a west, and those would be the entrances. This is a, this is a, a completely unsophisticated version of a Masonic lodge. They do the same stuff in the Masonic lodge. This is, once again, their wigwams. Once again, it's the Midi Lodge. They, they literally had lodge proceedings and stuff, you know, the Grand Medicine Lodge. Okay, this is, they had birch bark scrolls. Okay, so they didn't, once again, they didn't have a written language, but they, they told their stories through what? Pictograms, you know, symbols, things like this. And so, the, and they would have birch bark that they would dry out and then they would, you know, scrawl on it and stuff like this. And so, you know, very elaborate sort of thing. To me, this looks like, I mean, this might as well be Egyptian or something, right? I mean, look at it. To me, it's like totally looks like Egyptian sort of thing. But basically, what were they doing? They had a whole story of the soul's journey. That's what it is. You can even see on the top there, you've got the people that are walking upright, and then they sort of like, they, you know, they, they go down, and then they're walking underneath, if you will. That's, that's, nothing, that's nothing more than your, you know, spirit world and physical world. That's, that's what it's a reference to. Okay? So, now, Freemasonry and Native Americans. Now, what I'm saying is this Meadowin Lodge is essentially a recapitulation of the mystery schools, and they were teaching essentially the same thing, and they actually had some of the same symbols that we would use in, you know, our, uh, what would we, we would be construed as a mystery school, if, if, you know what I'm saying, the same sort of symbols. Okay, so this is, comes from a book called Native American Freemasonry. There can be no doubt that certain Indian societies had secret words that their members might use in conversation or as signals. Secret handshakes, secret words. Are you a traveling man? The possession of ritualistic words that belonged exclusively to the cult of fraternity was jealously guarded. The masonry of the Indians as builders and as philosophers dealing with moral truths grew out of their experiences with nature and with the actions of humankind. The wise men of the tribe knew that a band of men pledged to uphold morality and to enact rituals showing its advantages and, and, and would constitute a dynamic influence. They understood inherently that you needed something like this in society to keep it going. Why? Why? Because it, just as we talked about, when we lose our myths, we lose our place in the universe. Our, our world today has lost its place in the universe because we don't understand our myths. Native societies and fraternities, it would, it would be a mistake not to call attention to the fraternities of the Zuni and other Pueblo-dwelling peoples. They had elaborate lodge rooms or kivas, and their altars were dedicated and decorated to the powers of nature. The Ajwe of the north had their Midowen. The Indians, in some instances, drew more... This is what the Masons do, Right? They drew moral lessons from the building of the buildings. This is what the whole lodge is, the several, several degrees, that sort of thing. Indians did the same thing. The Indians in some instances drew moral lessons and analogies from the art of building their longhouses and other dwellings. But for the most part, their symbolism was drawn from the study of the temple of nature. Guess where the Christian symbols are found? Where's the cross come from? Where's the Vesca Pisces come from? Should I keep going? There. It's the temple of nature. 
It's inherent within the creation itself. They knew of no Hebrew legends or records in the names of Zerubbabel, whatever, Solomon, Hiram, Tyre, and Aaron was all strange to them. They didn't know anything about this old biblical, you know, Eastern over there across the Atlantic shit. They didn't know anything about it. And yet they came to the same conclusions. Practiced the same way, had degrees, had degrees and secret passwords and stuff like this. This is some of the this is some of the ornamentation that were found in some of these secret societies. Native American secret societies, these were some of the emblem, emblem, emblems and ornaments that they found. What does that look like to you? Does that look like a compass isn't square? So once again, little message to all you uh, truth-seeking people out there that are all oh, Freemason, compass isn't square. You're missing out. Big time. Big time. The Lodge of the Eagle Society... Seneca artist basically did the same sort of thing, got together lodges. This is from, um, oh, sorry, this wrong one. On the other hand, there were societies that used sacred words, some of, it, some of which might be mentioned only a low breath and some never except within the lodge. Some of these words had magical values and there were lost words. You mean like the Masonic lost word? I don't know. This is Squire and Davis. This, this is two guys that... Um, went out and actually looked at all of these ancient mound, mounds in, in uh, North America and things like that, and basically just archaeologists that were looking at the site and measuring it and that sort of stuff. Squire and Davis, they actually made a bunch of different books. Um, this is from one of them. It says, common nations, this is what these, the white people, after the natives are all gone and they were looking at the land again, they're like, okay, what is all this stuff? This is what they found. Combinations of the square and circle are common in these ancient earthen works. And the figures are always perfect. The square and circle are always made perfect, so they knew what they were doing. This perfection of the figure proves, as Squire and Davis remarked, that the builders possess a standard of measurement and had a means of determining angles. The number of the mounds and the whole, it was like 10,000 mounds, they found a ton of these. This is what the mounds ended up looking like. That's a circle and a square. For those of you listening at home with the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, on the podcast, what we're looking at right now is a circled square. And what we're looking at right now is a circled square. And then what we're looking at right here is a bunch of compasses and squares that were created by Native Americans. So what did the Medawin practice? What did they have to say? What is this? Is the relevance for what is this five thousand year old allegedly society? What what did they have to say for this generation? What did they have to provide for us? Right. Well, if we know that they're actually a mystery school tradition and they're actually passing on universal moral, ethical, and eternal truths about the nature of God, then they should have a whole shitload of things to tell us, right? Individuality, individual spirituality is of this world, not of another world. Of this life, not another life. Amen. How many times have I bitched about that, guys? I've been reading from Pike or whatever. We said, don't dream of the next world. Don't sit there and be like, oh, I'm going to get to heaven and I've got to get, you know, I got to get out of here and stuff like that. No, you're to be here. You're to be in the present. You're to do what you do. You're, you know, you do your duty here. You're to perform your great work here and you're supposed to be in the now. You be in the presence of Christ now, not to be dreaming of another world. Okay? Amen. The middle one knew what they were talking about. To have spiritual balance is to be in touch with the forces, energies of life. Amen. To have spiritual balances to see the true reality on different levels. And then speak that reality too. Amen. 
Generate respectful ways to look and understand others' knowledge paths. What do you think we're doing here today? I'm doing everything to respectfully show you and understand other people's paths and then show you that guess what? There is only one path. Develop respectful, fulfilling relationships. Having balance is being practical. As you'll come to find, one of the interesting things about a lot of this stuff is that it actually is very practical. It allows focus and mindfulness, attention to self, objects, and surroundings. You develop empathy and react positive to situation and surroundings. To have spiritual balance is to allow oneself to have illuminated thought. Amen. They were a medicine. It was called the Grand Medicine Society. And this is what we're going to, so this is, and we'll end this thing here, okay? I know we're getting, we're, it's a little long today. I know. I'm sorry. But we started with this, and this is how we're going to end this, okay? What is the takeaway from today's sermon? There's a natural religious process inherent within the creation itself. And one of the ways you can find this natural religious process is finding balance, finding the center. And when you find the center, you're actually going to, there's going to be some math there as we, as we come to find. Because God put it there. They were called medicine men, right? Medicine. Medicine is a medical treatment, cure, healing. Uh, it's the art of healing. Of course, we all know what medicine is. Uh, medicine man is a native North American shaman, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, magical influence, something supposed to uh, possess curative, supernatural, or mysterious power. Mystics, magicians, right? Okay. They're called the medicine, the Medouin and the medicine men. The Medouin and the medicine men in the med, in the mid, in the Medouin, the midway of life. Middle, being the middle part or the midst, being between, intermediate, mid, mid, middle, med, to take appropriate measures. Of course, appropriate measures would be, you know, in the sense of the middle, the balanced way, okay? This is, now think about this phonetically, medicine. I need some medicine. I need a medicine man to cure me from my ills. Meta, this is the phonetics, okay? Medicine. Meta is, meta means after, behind, among, between, changed or altered, higher or beyond, to go beyond is really what it is. In the midst of, in common with, by means of, between. Meta. So basically this, I go uh, higher, beyond, we're going to change, we're going to alter, we're going to go uh, after, beyond, that sort of thing. Meta, sin. What's the fanatic of sin? Sin is a violation of divine law, offense against God, moral or wrongdoing. So if you are seeking out meta-sin, number one, med means to find the middle. Middle, med, medowin, to meditate. Okay? I'm not hot or cold, I'm medium. Get it? So this is a medicine is to say you're going to go beyond sin. You're going to go higher beyond sin. You're going to take your state of that fallen being. You're going to change and alter it through that medicine. Where do you find that medicine? In those secret societies, in, in Gnostic churches is where you're going to find it. The middle path generally refers to avoidance of two extremes of practical... It's practicality. The middle path generally refers to the avoidance of two extremes of practical life, namely indulgence and sensual pleasures on one hand and severe asceticism on the other. It's just another way of saying it. This enlightened figure Buddha... Just a great, great man was basically like, uh, just find the middle path. Just, uh, just stay balanced, you know. That's about it. Not a big deal. This is what the Medawin were saying, okay? What's the balance point Not numerically? Just wait. It's the balance point numerically. We've talked about this and we did. Oh man, know thyself and you should know the universe and the God. One, two, three, four, five is in the center. One, two, three, four, five is in the center. Six, seven, eight, nine. 
a, a, a mean is a balance between two extremes, right? The balance here is the number five. You got one extreme, which is one, and you got another stream, extreme, which is nine. And what's the middle? It's five. Correct? Then we, we covered this, and it said the next thing that this Christ figure did, this primordial man, this figure, this first Adam did, second Adam, I guess, is asked of the creator to find the fire, the the fire keeper and the sun in the east and then learn about that sacred fire and its connection to what? The heart. And what is the heart within you? In the chakra system, what is it? You got three up and three down. It's an end of an inning. You got your muladhara, your svana, your, what is it? Your muladhara, svana, svana, manapur, the anahata, the vishuddha, the anya, and the sahasrara. You got the vishuddha, the ajna, the sahasrara, what well, do you got? The muladhara, muladhara, oh my god, muladhara, svana, svana, mahapura, I'm sorry to say this, anahata, vishuddha, anya, and the sahasrara. The anahata, the heart, is in the center of those chakras, seven. And that is what keeps the sacred fire and the, the message of the creator, right? And this first man, what did he do? Went to that center of the heart, found the fire of the sun within him, and then mated with a morning star, with the morning star, which is Venus, and created, and it is their sacred union that is the beginning of humanity. That's according to the Ojibwe. That's their creation story. Here's the actual math of those two celestial objects. There's 365 days of the sun, and that morning star has 225 days. 365 divided by 25 is 1.62. It's a close approximation to 1.618. The kiss of Venus, the first primordial man that went to the east, got the fire within, then mated with Venus, made people, this is the star, this is the pattern that Venus and um, the sun and the, the earth create over, a, I think it's an eight-year period. It's called the kiss of Venus. And it's a big number five in the sky. Now, who put the five in the sky? It was the Cree. No, it was the Ajwe. No, it was, uh, no, it was the giants. The giants that were here before that. No, it was the Indian people. No, 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 no. Do you see my point? Inherent within the creation itself. You don't have to go to some dusty old book. What do you have to do? Know your gospel. Know God's story. What does it do? It creates a number five. The Venus passes between the sun and the earth every 584 days. The kiss of Venus with the earth occurs over an eight-year period. And this draws this beautiful geometric pattern. And what is that geometric pattern? Well, what do you find within that star? 1.618. Phi or five, that five, is the fingerprint of God. That's 1.618. And then we go to the Ajibwe story of creation, and they say that that first primordial man had to mate with that planet of beauty in order to bring people down to Turtle Island. Of course he did. It makes total sense. Most people will look at that. These are This is all um, pentagrams on Christian cathedrals, uh, a bunch of Christian cathedrals across the world. Most people would look at that upside down one and they're just like, oh, it's demonic, you know. And little do they know, according to the Ajibwe, that's what helped create human beings. Then we look at that and we go back to that, that live stream that we did called, Oh Man, Know Thyself. And what do we find? Oh, we're all up. We're all up. Our human beings, we're all up in this. We got five all day long. 
We have five here and five here and five down there and five there and they got five extensions to the torso and we got five senses and then we map the sun the sun exactly what they're talking about in the east we map that and then we found out five 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 oh jesus then we go to the ajibwe and they know they knew and i think it's pretty pathetic when people are like look at these ancient myths christians especially because i get hard on them i get harsh on them they look at this stuff and it's like, savages, it's got nothing to do with my thing. It's like, you couldn't be more wrong. You couldn't be more off that path. You couldn't be so, like, here's the straight and narrow gay and you're the fuck over there. Because you're looking at all of this stuff and being like, that's all savage, blah, blah, blah. Having no idea. No idea. It perfectly reflects the story of Christ. You get some math to it, too. What do we know? The riddle is to find the middle. The Meadowin, the Medeowin, the Medicine Lodge, the Middle Path. To live a balanced life. That's what it's all about. And do you know why you have to live a balanced life? Because the the Ajawe people knew just what the ancient Christians knew, and we seem to a lot of people have seemed to forget it in our time. The, this this earth goes through great changes all the time. The seasonal changes, the changes of societal changes and government changes, and then we have these great ages that change. And that just flips things on its head. It's like, now you're going to get an ice age. How do you like that shit? Here's a deluge, right? Oh, now we're going to, you know, now we're going to build society up. It's going to be a bunch of mound builders, and then they're going to go down. They're going to build Gothic cathedrals, then they're going to go down. And then we're going to build pyramids, and then they're going to go down. What happens down here is temporary, it's impermanent, it's a dream, it's a Maya, it's an illusion. Not here forever. Right? And meaning that all everything that goes down here passes. Well, you're stuck in it. And so somehow, between this freaking ebb and flow, you have to find some balance. And that's what they understood, that the, the riddle is to find the middle, is to find that balance. Now, Ajibwe talk about the fact that, well, once again, we talk about these great shifts, ebbs and flows of what happens down here, right? Well, one of the things that happened was a deluge. And that's, you know, literally hundreds of myths all around the world talk about deluge. They fully believe, the Ajibwe did, that it forms part of their religion that the world has been covered by a deluge, right? So what you have to do is somehow maintain some balance of all of this crazy shit that goes on down here. All of this, you have to somehow find that center, okay? What did they say about, excuse me, the deluge? Why, why, would the, why was there a deluge in the first place? Well, according to the Bible, God was angry. God was angry at the people because they were not following his way. They were sinning. They were not being met. They were not finding that medicine, which takes them away from sin, beyond sin. Finding that center, they were living in uh, filth, right? That's what they said. That's what those Hebrews said. The Ajibwe said the same thing. This idea is fully accounted for by their vague traditions. And in the Medeoan, uh, the religion, the, hierogly the hieroglyphs are used to denote the second earth. There was a second earth. There was a first earth. And then it was flooded. And then there was a second one. Interesting. They fully believed that the red man mortally angered the great spirit which caused the deluge. And at the commencement of the new earth, it was only through the medium and intercession of a powerful being, Menobosho, that they were allowed to exist. Okay, so they had a deluge. They said, they're like, look, what caused the deluge? Man was not living in harmony with nature. Man was not living in harmony with his creator. Man didn't understand his myths. Man lost his way. Man was being a piece of shit. He was not being moral and ethical and upstanding and virtuous and righteous and honest and full of integrity and dignity. 
He was he was lost in theory after theory after dumb idea after dumb idea and listening to this icon and listening to this instead of listening to the God that exists within him, that heartbeat. That. That. And what did God say? Well, you guys are not following my shit. That is called the World Age Doctrine and it's known across the world. And I think it's going to probably happen to us. It could be in our lifetime. Who knows? But, you know. Um... This was the World Age Doctrine. So they knew that there was going to be great shifts, great high tides and low tides and ebbs and flows and catastrophes and creations and beautiful times and harsh times. And somehow through all of it, you're going to have to maintain your stasis. You're going to have to find the middle way. The Seven Fires prophecy was originally taught among the practitioners of the Meadow Wind. Each fire represented a prophetical age making phases or epochs of Turtle Island. We, we've... Once again, we don't understand our cosmology. We don't understand all, all that stuff. So we lose this information. We lose this knowledge. We lose this gnosis. And so then we look back at our history. We can't make any sense of it. We can make sense of it if you understand this. Like, hey, guess what? Just as the Bible says, there's going to be new heavens and a new earth, and the former won't come into remembrance at all. You're not going to remember shit. It's going to be gone. Because that's what happens down here. Because you're in a dream. And you're made in his image, in his imagination. The six ages of the world, also rarely seven ages of the world, is a Christian historical periodization written by August of Hippo, etc., etc. Same idea. Same idea. A world ages doctrine. Who, who understood this? Societies across the world. Societies across the world understood it. Greek, Mayan, Christian, you know, it's, you know, Hindu. You go over and look at and what, what do you natives say? Ah, oh, we got this seven ages prophecy, etc. Now I want to I'm going to leave you with this because this is a this is a little pick me up, right? Because right now we live when I mean, we talk about trying to find that middle way, the meadow in, the meadow way, right? The meadow way, the midi way of life, if you will. You know, try to find that there's a lot of ebbs and flows. There's a lot of you know crazy shit that happens down here. Let's just say it like that, right? And right now we seem to be in one of those ages, right? One of those times where there's like a lot of crazy shit that's happening, right? And we're saying, is this going to last forever? Well, once again, if you have, if you understand God, if you have gnosis and knowledge of God, you realize, no, no, can't. That's not how it works down here. Follow the sun. Understand the the wisdom of that light, and what is what does it do? Changes what the stars change, the the sun changes, goes through its seasonal path, goes through its yearly path, that sort of stuff. This is all it does is change down here. So people right now that have an unbelievable lack of faith or of, of their creator, they're looking at the world and be like, it's just all going to shit. It's all gonna last forever. It's all gonna get worse and worse. No, it's not. No, it's not. Have faith. And once again, faith comes from what? Evidence? And evidence will lead you to what? An understanding, a knowledge. Okay? this nonsense of pedophiles running everything and it's not going to last forever, just so you know. This is what is a consistent theme as well that you hear from not only these native tribes, but also from the, 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 our book, the Holy Bible. This even tells you that, right? That eventually, guess what? This, in this sense, Christ is going to return. Now, we don't say Christ returning like, you know, Christians think Christ returning like he's going to fly down on this white horse and everybody's going to be saved. 144,000 people be like, let's go get some ice cream. That's not how it works. Okay, but what's going to change is that what? Oh, society just keeps going down and 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 then next thing you know, it gets to that trough and then it gets, gets oh, it's going to start coming back up. This is a consistent story within Native Americans. This is what they said. The prophets also gave us a teaching, a teaching about the eighth fire, a time we are now in. 
It is said that in this time, our stories and ancient wisdom will come to surface and be shared with the Western people. I swear to God, I think I might have something to do with that. And a new beginning will happen called the Eighth Fire. And new people will emerge. Some of these, uh, funny enough, some of the, there was a one tribe, I think they called it the Rainbow People. Funny enough, right? Uh, new people will emerge and it will become the beginning of the Golden Age. And that was allegedly the prophecy that a bunch of these tribes put forward. So, there's that. I'm going to end with this. It's one of my favorite quotes of mythology ever. This never happened, but it always is. This, the stories, Nanabuju and the loon, the mang, and all these other, this, this stuff never happened, right? And even if it did, it didn't actually happen like they say it happened, like objective record. But is this happening? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's what mythology is all about. This stuff never happened, but it always is. That's what learning the eternal is all about. It's to learn that these, 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 these truths, these timeless truths, these divine verities are with us all the time. In fact, we learn at this church that they're right in front of us. Or no, maybe they're right up there too. Oh, they're both. God made sure to put it fucking everywhere so that we would know. So that's what myths are all about. It's not history. It's not there to tell you about some history that you can't ever prove. It's trying to tell you about his story and how his story is happening all the time. And that story is what? What does that story do? It's trying to take you to heaven. And if you want to go to heaven, you got to be a good boy. Okay? You got to be a good boy. So, and you can become a good bird and subscribe star. You can become a phoenix bird and a kilo bird, sickness bird. You can become Tom the P, my freaking bird. If you would like to donate, uh, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app, you can become a good bird and subscribe star. Uh, we do snail mail. Um, Kevin McNally, Entry 550 Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, 53566. And we'd like to say thank you to Content Safe for getting us on BitChute, uh, Odyssey, Rumble, and all of that sort of stuff. And you can get this at the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. Sunday sermons are on there. You should totally get it. Uh, we're doing the gathering in just a couple weeks. I think like two weeks now, something like that. I don't even know. Um, if you can join us, it's going to be awesome. August 18th through the 21st, Kuyama Valley. And it's going to be cool. Um, I'm, I, it's going to be fun. I'm, gonna, I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be a really great time. Can't wait to meet um, Amanda and Bear and Melissa Sell and everybody. It's going to be cool. Flattoberfest is happening October 21st, 22nd, 2023. FlatEarthFestivals.com or FlatOverfest.com. Uh, get your tickets. And then, of course, we have the church store. And, okay, that's going to do it for me. Guys, I hope you enjoyed today. Um, I know it was a little long. I know I, there was a lot of stuff to cover, and so it was just sort of necessary to go over a lot of that stuff. But and then I got to do thank yous, yes. And my wife sent me. She just sent me something. Did you send it to Marty Leeds thirty three? Yeah, you got to send it there because otherwise it's going to take forever because of the things and the stuff. Um, anyway, thank you. So next week we're going to do Matthew eighteen, and we're going to talk about getting into that mystical state that we talked about today, about getting into that state of everything is new and fresh and, uh, you know, basically, you know, regeneration of the mind. So you see things with child's eyes again, right? And so they're new. You don't, you don't, you unlearn all that perversion and you take all that stuff off and you're like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to see it. That mystical mindset is exactly where God wants you to be. Okay. And that's what we're going to talk about um, next week in Matthew 18, okay? Because he starts off with that. And that's the thing that, here, let me just show you this. That mystical mindset, by the way, let me just rant here a little bit here, is what allows you to, you know, see, oh my God, where is it? 
crew. Da, 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 da. Oh, I don't even know. The the calendar. I, I can't find it now. The turtle calendar. You know, when you see that, it's like that's a that's a mystical mindset that you know a rational person or a naturalist or whatever they can't see it. They literally cannot see that. You could show them the math all day long, but they can't see it. Okay, we have this thing with flat Earth too. You can hand them all the information. You can hand them all the here's all the proofs that you need to absolutely verify that you're not fucking spinning. But can they see it? No. Why? Because they have to get into that mindset where they they actually can see the you know the divine, if you will. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, can you just send them to? Marty Leeds? That's why I sent them first. Um, okay, there we go. Thank you to Chase DeLong, Eugene Jacques, Jeremy Hines, Jared Poole. Thank you guys so much. Thank you very much, Jeremy Hines, Jared Poole. Love you guys. Daniel Hagar, Alicia Crawford. So good to see all these familiar faces. Uh, it's so cool. Uh, Virginia Murray, Jim Grassi, Bobby96 and fam, John Gaggett. Truth be spoken. Wait, is this, uh, yeah, this is right. This is right. Uh, Andrew Masonette, Corby Olson, Angela Morris. Thank you so much, Angela Morris. I'm glad you liked the last live stream. David McKinney, Ruth Scott, Gavin, Jean Vina, Christina Banks, Carmen Taylor, Graceful Shane, Derek Holloway, Kurt Kling, Klingle, I think is how you say that. Uh, thank you so much. Andrew Masonette says, good morning, church. Happy Sunday. Perspective 96. Gratitude equals 47. I'm grateful for all the work you and Jen do. I'm also grateful to be able to catch another live stream this week and for the protection of our family has received with this recent severe storms. Yeah, pretty crazy, huh? Jerry D. Enjoying the story. Uh, 999. Thank you so much. And Bobby96, we need to come see you. Need a prayer to be reborn again because I haven't figured out how to die. God bless you, Marty, and the church. KPV 2733. Awesome. Thank you so much. John Vina, Jared Poole, thank you so much. James Duane, Virginia Dare again. Eric Colesell, 33, thank you. Jennifer McLaughlin, 25, great service, thank you. Always look forward to Sunday morning. Uh, okay, that's going to that's gonna do it. And then, of course, all the good birds over at Subscribestar. Okay, we appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for all the people that support what we do. I know today was kind of long. I had a, just, I had a you know explain a lot of stuff which is not always fun but i you know i really wanted to do this because it was just so when i got into this it was just so beautiful like i just love i mean i don't know it's just you get into it and it's just at least i mean i could i could literally talk about this stuff for the next like four weeks we're not going to do that but okay that's going to do it guys thank you so much um i love you so much as always may you always keep yourselves in the love of god looking for the mercy of our lord jesus christ unto eternal life may his grace be with you all Amen. That's going to do it for me, guys. I will see you. Um, we're going to be on the road again, so we're not, not going to do Tuesdays with Marty. But once we get down to Missouri, we should have a better internet, and so we'll probably be on a lot more, and that'll be in a couple weeks. But um, for right now, that's going to do it. Okay, guys, I will see you on the flip side. Thank you so much. Next Sunday, we'll do Matthew 18. Okay? It's going to be good. That's going to do it. As always, many blessings and much love to all.